That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Tiger Woods is a big deal. I think we can all agree on that. And he has committed to playing in next week's Genesis Invitational. It'll be his first competitive rounds of golf this year. Made the announcement yesterday on social media. Hinted at it today. He made it official that he would play in the tournament that uh, that uh, he has played in just once before. And remember when he withdrew from the Masters in 2023? Remember when Tiger Woods underwent surgery on his right ankle two weeks after that? Well, this is set to be his first ever event, certainly since his partnership with Nike ended ended after last month. And and, uh, certainly for a guy who has exemplified competition at the top of his sport it caused it caused some excitement from golf fans who were saying hey wait a minute is tiger gonna come back how's he gonna look it got me thinking i'm not interested in whether or not he's going to be great in this tournament i'm interested in whether or not he can be great again in a in a major but it got me thinking about generational superstars in sports Because one of the conversations that I have had with my friends and family members, you know, I'm not like a big music guy, but I can say, hey, you know, I've seen Elton John in concert. I've seen uh, Billy Joel in concert. Hell, I saw Vanilla Ice one time in concert. Let's not talk about that, though. But I I want you to answer me this. Tell me this. What generational athlete have you watched in person and what generational athlete are you kicking yourself for not going to see in person 503-417-7575 i've seen tiger woods on a golf course up close i've seen him i've covered the masters i've covered the u.s open um i was at pebble beach when tiger woods carved it up um i've seen that but i can tell you this you know i never saw michael jackson perform a concert and i'm kind of kicking myself going gosh why didn't i go see that while i was going to watch like mc hammer and vanilla ice back in the day like you know and again let's not talk about it too much uh why didn't i go see a generational performer that was legendary and and we were well aware at the time when michael jackson was performing how great he is you're well aware that tiger woods is something else maybe you've seen michael jordan in person maybe you saw kobe maybe you saw bill walton in his prime Maybe you saw Joe Namath. Maybe you saw Tom Brady throw a pass, win a game. I want to know what generational athlete you've watched in person and which athlete you're kicking yourself for not going to see. Now, I saw Michael Jordan 
but it was late in his career. You know, he was in a Wizards uniform. He was still a decent NBA player, but he wasn't Michael Jordan of the Chicago Bulls in uniform. I never saw that Jordan in person in uniform. I've seen Michael Phelps in the pool. I've seen Usain Bolt on the track. I have seen, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant, and I've watched uh, LeBron in person. But I want you to tell me, who have you seen that comes to mind when I talk about Tiger Woods committing to come and play in a golf tournament, his first tournament of 2024? He's going to play in the uh, Genesis, and um, you know, it was the event that he was attending when he was involved in that car crash in 2021, where he had the uh, leg injuries. And uh, you know, here's a guy who had to had to uh, leave the Masters last year, and now is seemingly well enough to play some golf. And it makes me kind of wonder if a 48 year old Tiger Woods, at some point, will matter again in a major. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is a phone number. We got the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. All of the hoopla still unfolding. We've got uh, a lot of sound from Las Vegas as the Super Bowl coaches and players are preparing for the big game. The game, uh, you know, certainly when I look back in in Super Bowl history, uh, I grew up in an era where, like, you know, Super Bowl 15, 16, 17, 18, those were big deals in my childhood. And now I look up and I'm like, we're in the 50s? Like, how deep in the 50s are we? And I'm watching the Super Bowl unfold and, and well aware that Patrick Mahomes is this close to cementing his legacy as, you know, maybe one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, or maybe he's this close to losing the game on Sunday, and maybe uh, some of the shine comes off of his legacy. 503-417-7575, I want you to tell me what generational athlete you saw in person, and maybe the one that you're kicking yourself for not going to see why you had the chance as you look back uh, on your sports arc in the time of uh, athletes in your life that you saw compete uh, Patrick Mahomes certainly could be one of those guys I think he goes he goes down and he's been involved in conversations in the last week as Dan Patrick and others are talking about him like you know is this is this the Mahomes Super Bowl that sort of cements him to being in the conversation with Joe Montana and you know challenging Tom Brady who's got more Super Bowl championships than anybody and I just think when, once you get to Brady's level of winning, I think it's a it's really interesting to kind of you know you can compare you know LeBron getting to the NBA Finals and losing, you can compare Tom Brady, you know getting to the Super Bowl and losing, but Tom Brady's the only quarterback to win a Super Bowl in three separate decades, and oldest NFL MVP at age forty and. You talk about his last Super Bowl championship, and it just kind of cemented him as like, you know, you can't touch that. You can no longer compare it to Joe Montana. Um, We'll see what what Mahomes' legacy feels like come Sunday night in Las Vegas. Let's go to the phone lines. I want to know, who did you see and who didn't you see when it came to generational athletes? Let's go to Greg, who's in Salem. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, thanks a lot, John. Thanks a lot, John. I got a lot of them, but I think I'll do the uh, my uh, incident with Bill Walton. This was in the late '80s. It was actually at Universal Studios down there. He had he was on crutches. It was one of his foot injuries, and it was a summer. I had my my wife and my young son with me. Anyway, I pointed out to my wife at the time, uh, and uh, point out who uh, Bill Walton is, and he's standing over there. 
without asking permission or anything. My wife walks to within three feet of him and just starts taking pictures. Doesn't ask permission, doesn't shake his hand, just starts taking pictures like he's a statue. And I've never seen a man move as fast on crutches as he did that day. It was incredibly embarrassing. Yeah, you still you got a brush with Bill Walton. Stephen, who comes to mind when I say, you know, who did you see? And maybe, and it could even be, hey, who haven't you seen yet if the if the athlete is still active? Yeah, uh, th- this last season, last year, I saw LeBron James for the first time. Uh, I had never seen him in person. That is that was a unique experience to see because uh, just knowing that, you know, what he's accomplished on the court, on the basketball court, just is amazing uh, as a basketball fan. And then, like, this year I saw Victor Wimbanyama. Like, that was one of those things, like, I wanted to see what that looked like because – We've never seen a player like him with his body type and his age and his skill set. And to see him in person was amazing. Uh, there's a guy that I really want to see that I haven't seen, Shohei Otani. Like he's, yes. he's a guy that I haven't seen. I would love to see a game where he pitches and hits, but obviously not this season because he's hurt. But you know, just, just see that guy hit and see that guy play, uh, I think that would be awesome. My brother's gone up to Seattle when they played the Angels and he said, man, Otani is just, it's just a different thing. It's a different experience. So that's the one guy that I thought off the top of my head was, man, I would love to go see Shohei Otani uh, in person. I saw Barry Bonds in 2001. I was covering baseball for the San Jose Mercury News. And, and I was on that beat when Bonds was hitting home runs at a record clip, 73 home runs, shatters the, the slugging percentage record that Babe Ruth had for 81 years. Finished the season, he hit 328, drove in 137 runs. It was ridiculous to watch Barry Bonds hit home runs like that. But i got to be honest with you, there was part of me that was like, I am watching something that has never before happened in Major League Baseball history. Now, we now know it was fueled in part by the cream and the clear. But but what Bonds was doing was amazing, and it was remarkable to see. I had the same feeling in watching Usain Bolt run on the track. You know, I saw him in two Olympics running, saw Michael Phelps swim in the pool, uh, well aware that I'm watching something that is um, extraordinary. Uh, I still, though, kick myself for the things that I missed. You know, there was a lot I missed when it came to, like, Olympic Games or even as a kid or growing up, opportunities to go see games. And I never, you know, I saw Michael Jordan in his prime on television, was never lucky enough to see him in an NBA arena. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Kelly is in uh, Glide, Oregon. Is that right, Kelly? Welcome. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hi. I can't believe you took my call. This is a first-time caller. Uh, Thank you. I love your show. I just want to tell you how raw and personal your show is, and I love that, the human aspect that you bring to sports. So just want to say thank you. Thank you. And and the person that I met, I was going to say um, I saw Kevin Durant, but this is even better. The person I met was that when uh, – they came down to San Diego when San Diego had the Clippers, was Clyde the Glide and Big Brian Duckworth. And I was in the military, so they arranged for us to go down there and meet the players. And I was just starstruck. I couldn't believe I was like, oh, man, this guy was – that's the best I've ever seen. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with Villanelle Ice, all right? You go. That's the 90s. <laughs> hey, thank you for your service. I appreciate you, my friend. There you go, Kelly and Glide. Uh, no, there's something there's something a little wrong with Vanilla Ice. I mean, he had one song, and but MC Hammer was kind of cool to see him in the in the nineteen what late late eighties, early nineties. Come on, don't hurt him, Hammer. Um, uh, Yao Ming, I saw Yao Ming in person several times, and I got to be honest with you, 
you know, Victor Wimbanyama probably has the same feel to him as just like there's an Andre the Giant like sort of dynamic to seeing an NBA player who is a mutant, who is that big, who has that kind of wingspan. And I remember first being around Yao during uh, a Blazers Rockets game, a series in which Yao was in the tunnel at what was then the Rose Garden Arena and just standing beside him and realizing just how large he is. And then in the locker room afterwards, in the Rockets locker room, I got in trouble in the locker room because this was in the early days of cell phones. And Yao was icing his feet after a game. And he had these giant storage tubs, the kind of tubs you buy at uh, a hardware store or at Target if you're storing things in your garage, like these giant tubs that you're going to put all your junk in in your garage. And Yao had him filled with ice, and he had one foot in each of the tubs. That's how big his feet are. Like I And I, I couldn't help myself. And I took a picture with, with uh, what was then, I think, a BlackBerry. And, of course, say he has a size 18 shoe, okay? Like Shaq wore a 22, but still, 18, kind of a, kind of a big deal. Um, it, it was interesting to see him, you know, put his feet into something, a, a container that, that was that big, and to have his feet fill the container. And somebody from the Rockets PR staff came over and said, you can't take a picture in the locker room. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, it was just Yao's feet. And his, and his icing procedure was interesting to me. The interesting thing about an NBA locker room, by the way, it, you can take video as a media member in the locker room, but you can't take a still photograph the nba prohibits it it's part of their uh, media agreement and you can't take a still photograph i was told because a photograph can be misconstrued they want to have to have players worried about people snapping pictures while they're changing but you can take video in the locker room which doesn't make any sense to me uh let's go out to the phone lines jesse's in klamath falls listening on 960 a.m jesse welcome hey thanks john um I grew up down here in Southern Oregon, uh, outside of Bonanza, Oregon, which no one knows about. They just laugh about the show. And I grew up by um, pretty poor out on some acreage. So I didn't get a, a lot of opportunities to really get out and see my idols much. But one particular uh, Christmas, for Christmas, my rich aunt from Sacramento got me passes to go down and watch spring, like spring ball or OTAs, I think it was for the Niners back when it was Rice in Montana, and it was just like next-level stuff for me. I didn't get that opportunity. It was also back in the days where when you went to that, you could just stand on the ropes on the actual practice field that they were practicing on, and they were literally right out in front of you. And on the day that I went, I was wearing my uh, Jerry Rice jersey and just a whole bunch of kids on the ropes. Joe Montana rolled up in a white stretch limo and threw, like, maybe 10 passes, and that was all we saw of him. But on a particular pass, Jerry was thrown <laughs> wide, and he rolled into us and knocked us a whole group of us down. And that was like the end-all, be-all for me because Rice and Montana were my favorites. And I swore, I told my mom, do not wash this shirt ever. And I actually, <laughs> now that my son is a young, burgeoning Niner fan, I had this discussion with my mom. I was telling him this story, and she washed that jersey that night, and she told oh. me that a couple of years ago, and I was actually livid. In my 40s, I'm like, what? Like, you allowed me to live with this. But but that, for sure, that's two legends, but that was my closest rush was to have Jerry Rice kick me. 
So. I love that. And there's there's sometimes when you see an athlete that you have maybe idolized or was on a poster on your bedroom wall as a kid or watched on television, when you see that athlete up close, like you can't help it, you know, even if it's not an athlete, maybe it's a celebrity, you can't help but 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 stare a little bit. And I don't mean like in a weird way, but you stare because it's surreal to you to see somebody that maybe you've seen on the poster or on the cover of Sports Illustrated or on television so often to see them actually standing in front of you. Mark is in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, great topic. Uh, I grew up watching, because uh, I'm an old guy, I grew up watching Jabbar and Walton dominating at UCLA, and it was just during that winning streak, watching that was like, you know, watching uh, Pete Rose chasing DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. I mean, it was incredible to watch. And then when we drafted Walton, I was already in love with him. So watching live, watching Walton and Jabbar go at it during the mid-'70s uh, was amazing because, you know, Walton was in his prime. It was kind of like Russell and Wilt. I mean, Wilt would have – he'd score uh, – Jabbar would score 33 points, 15 rebounds, but Walton would – would make his teammates better, and they'd figure out how to win the game. And it was it was just a joy to watch the way Bill Walton played in his prime. But another guy that I watched him play against, you know, my, these might be the three best college players ever, in my opinion, was Pete Maravich. When he, the year Portland won the title, Pete Maravich averaged 31 points a game without a three-point line. So, and he was he, he might not have been one of the best ten players in the NBA, but he was arguably the most entertaining player in the history of basketball. And the the guy I probably miss not watching in his prime was, uh, and I'm jealous of you, John, because I, I understand swimming. It's the first sport I really got into. So Michael Phelps, who I think is the best athlete, he, to dominate four Olympics is completely unheard of in that sport. It's amazing his intensity and how he trained to prepare for those Olympics. It's phenomenal. I'll tell you this, Mark, too, in being at, you know, at the Olympic pool or even in the Olympic city, like Beijing, for an example, in 2008, it was remarkable to me to see foreign fans and, uh, you know, Chinese citizens rooting for Michael Phelps. They wanted Michael Phelps to win gold medals. They wanted to see greatness. It was their Olympics, and they thought this validates the Olympics. And so it, it was almost like a home crowd when Phelps would swim, and he made it look easy. You saw it on television. It looked easy in person. Hell, Usain Bolt made it look easy. I Like, you know, Usain Bolt would get out of the blocks. He's, you know, not not fast out of the blocks, wasn't good in his first 10 or 20 meters, and right around 40 or 50 meters he'd just take over and make it look really easy. Rick's in Portland. Rick, welcome to the conversation. Hey, John, appreciate you taking a call. Bet. Always what do you listening, got? but uh, well, thank you. My best by far is uh, in '92. Good buddy of mine from high school. His dad wrote for the sports at the Eugene Register Guard, John Conrad, and he let me tag along to the Tournament of the Americas, so I got to see the original Dream Team, which was awesome. That's great. Uh, that 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 is uh, phenomenal. At the time, I was you know big Charles Barkley fan, so I was just screaming, you know, screaming at Charles the whole time, and was just throwing guys around the gym and. But, yeah, you know, years later, I appreciated all the other players at the time I didn't really care for because I just, you know, I was a Charles fan. But, yeah, but yeah to Bar- see all those guys in one place was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, there. I just don't think there will ever be another time. You can put together an Olympic team in today's world, but it's not 
like that Olympic team. You know, we hardly got to see those guys in person individually, and they were all in one place at one time. I never saw the Dream Team, the original Dream Team, in person. Never saw it. Like a lot of you, I watched it on TV. Tim's in Kalama. Tim, welcome. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, long-time listener. A um, couple, three things. Uh, I think it was 83, 84. I, I watched Georgetown and um, Houston play in the Kingdom, and that was pretty incredible. And then when I moved down here uh, around the 2000s, I watched Tiger win the uh, college championship live and watched him for about 22 holes. But then I got behind John Thompson about 10 years ago in the airport, and that was a pretty incredible thing. I'm about 6'4", 300, and I felt like a child next to him. <laughs> He's such a... He is such a big guy, larger than life in a lot of ways. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with the steal of National Letter of Intent Day. Is it possible that Portland State got the steal of the day? We'll talk to a Central Catholic athlete who's headed to Portland State. Plus, we'll look at uh, what Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Washington State did on an important building block day in college football. I talked to a lot of college football coaches, and in the last couple of months, I had had some conversations with a uh, former Pac-12 school that uh, it was uh, poking around Crew Newman, the quarterback from Central Catholic High School who led Central to the state championship, and uh, the coach that I was talking with, I said, you know, do you think Crew could play? Where Where does he fit? And... And uh, the coach said to me, gosh, he's a really interesting player because he's just such a good athlete. Uh, He's got tremendous upside. Well, Crew Newman, uh, Portland State, National Letter of Intent. Portland State is uh, proud to announce today that Crew Newman, the quarterback at Central Catholic, is headed to PSU. Andrew Nemec, who I I, uh, respect on the recruiting beat, says uh, it's an absolute steal for Portland State. He said he's one of the best high school quarterbacks in recent history. Going to be really interesting to see what Crew Newman does. And he is joining us now. Crew, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How about you, sir? Doing really well and uh, excited for you. Give us an idea of what a day like today feels like for a high school player. It's pretty special. Um, not really known what to expect out of this day. Um, it's pretty cool to be up there with a, a bunch of other athletes who have worked super hard as well as me and uh be able to sign that letter of intent was super cool i think it's a hard time right now for high school kids because the transfer portal's got just eating up so many scholarships um you know were you nervous at all about kind of where do you fit or does that stuff just take care of itself i wasn't i wasn't too much nervous um i think it's just a matter of time and you know keeping your head down and grinding and you know believing in yourself that you know you'll you'll find a home and that's what i did and um i'm lucky to call portland state my home what did uh, Bruce Barnum sell that you liked? And then the uh, the, the culture up upcoming um, the the uprise looks really good, um, and the the coaches, the community, how close everyone is to each other, really uh, sold me. And it really felt like high school over again. How close the the guys are, and kind of the community and bonding they do with each other. You had a great year at Central, six A State Offensive Player of the Year. Oregon State, uh, Oregon High School Player of the Year, Gatorade Player of the Year, seven thousand six hundred plus yards. 
94 touchdowns in your career. Uh, what did last season feel like? You know, you have two state championships in 2021, and in just in this last season, you won it again. What did that feel like for you to kind of put the put the uh, punctuation point on your high school career? Uh, it felt really good. Um, for us seniors, it really felt like it was our championship as we won one in 2021 as well. There was a lot of other supporting cast too. You know, they were seniors. They had their championship. So winning it this year really felt like it was ours. And uh, the team bought in. Everyone bought in. And we got the job done. It was awesome. You know, you are uh, going to Portland State. As you mentioned, it's a community there. I know a lot of the players on that team have had him on the show and have spent time with uh, some of the players during the summer as they have volunteered at the uh, summer camp, Camp Exceptional. But give me an idea. Like, you know, you're 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 looking at yeah, other you know, a lot of other high school athletes who either signed early in December or signed today. And how does this class feel? What do you know about the rest of Portland State's class? Um, I got to meet with a few of them this last weekend. Uh, so meeting some of the recruits now was super, super helpful. Um, I actually become really good friends with two of them. And just, you know, building those relationships and knowing you can build those relationships at Portland State is sky's the limit. So, you know, it's a comfortability thing. And, you know, we all felt super comfortable. And I'm really excited for this class. How do you navigate today's world as a as a college athlete or, you know, your soon-to-be college athlete uh, crew and you look at – you know, the transfer portal and, uh, you know, the the way players are jumping around. I mean, maybe it's not all that crazy to you because you probably have grown up with a little bit of this with seven-on-seven and club sports. Right. No, um, at this point, you you can only control yourself and, you know, what actions you you decide to do. Um, So it's hard to say for each person, but I've kind of just been focusing on myself, doing as much as I can to, you know, help, help myself get better and the people around me rather than focus on, the outsiders um it's it's definitely hard though um in this in this realm of the world we live in right now but you know there can't do anything about it but focus on yourselves we're talking to crew newman three-star quarterback class of 2024 uh committed to portland state today part of bruce barnum's staff uh did you guys do anything special at school did you uh do anything on uh, signing day or how did you kind of celebrate with your classmates um all the athletes who decided to sign today went to the gym and we all set up chairs and tables with our uh, school we're going to. Um, it was kind of simple, classic, but it, it felt pretty special just being in there in front of the whole school and uh, all our families and friends. Crew, do you have a chip on your shoulder given that, you know, for everything you accomplished, you know, maybe you'd, you'd expected to have, you know, more offers, more attention. I think part of it is the landscape of, the sport you're playing at the time you're playing it, but is there a chip on your shoulder headed to Portland State? You know, I think so. There's kind of always been, um, after sophomore year, didn't see a lot of action from colleges. After that, I kind of just put my head down and started working, and I don't plan on stopping. Um, I, I think I do play with the chip on my shoulder, and I'm going to keep playing like that. Crew Newman with us, Central Catholic, two-time state champion, uh, headed to Portland State, uh, signed today. Back in December, you tweeted that you had a great conversation with Coach Bruce Barnum. He offered you that day. What is a conversation with Bruce Barnum like where he offers you a scholarship? It was my, you know, my my first time talking to the head coach, Bruce. Bruce. Um, so it was, you know, kind of, it, it was crazy. But um, it was super, it was super awesome. Um, 
he was basically just being super real, super straight up. And once he once he said that, I knew he wasn't messing around, and he wanted me to be part of the program, and I wanted to be part of theirs. And I know some of the other coaches, or I knew one of the other coaches as well going in. So that's already like a, a bonus, a plus that uh, kind of have a little bit of chemistry with some of the coaches. You uh, 6A champion, as I mentioned, 31 touchdown passes, 15 rushing touchdowns. Will you continue to be runner slash passer at Portland State? How will they use you? I think so. They they do a lot of read option, a lot of runs with their quarterback. So I don't plan on changing my game. I think going to Portland State will really help my game develop and take it to another level. Now, you're, you're a Vancouver kid, if I have it right, and you go to Central what what was that drive like? Drive to school every day. It's it's not horrible. I grew up in Portland um, for my first fourteen years. Um, it, it's not horrible. There's a lot of guys who do it, but you you get used to it. At, at times, it can be kind of harsh, but you you get used to it. It's not it's not horrible. All right. Well, you live. Uh, you got to live around campus when you go to Portland State. How soon will you get there? Uh, will you will you uh, try to get there early, or are you going to uh, finish up at Central and then go, get out there in the uh, late spring and summer? I'll finish out uh, here in Central. Um, I'm going to try to get to the camp, like at campus, as much as I can. Learn the playbook, learn as much, get as much information as I can soak in before we go into fall camp, just so I'm one step ahead. The uh, the whole process now with you know, multiple signing periods and, again, the portal involved. And, you know, give me an idea of, you know, what kind of help did you get, your parents, uh, other coaches, maybe high school mentors, in trying to navigate the process and, and make the decision? What, you know, what, what kind of help did you get? Uh, my parents were a big help, and um, as well as the head coach for Central Catholic, Steve Pine, and the ex-Central Catholic coach, uh, Damon Griffin. They all were big help, and as much as they helped, there wasn't a lot of action. That's how crazy the portal was. You almost have to wait till the last week to see if there's something for a guy like me. Um, and it, it worked out. We got our uh, one one offer, and you know that's all I needed. Crew, let me uh, let me ask you here. I mean, you you never missed a game three years starting on varsity. I think you only lost maybe two games. Is that right, St. John Bosco? Yep. And then the state championship game, you're a winner. And so that culture, that winning culture, can you and some other guys carry that to Portland State where they've been they've been decent but not great in the last couple of years? I think so. I think last year as well, they just had a lot of injuries, which you know that's the sport of football. And I think, you know, this this new this new class, this new signing, um, I think there's a lot of guys who, who are winners and want to win and you know, bringing back the winning culture. So, yeah, I think so. Are you playing basketball right now? Is that right? I, I was going to play basketball. I didn't end up playing. I'm uh, I'm going to run track in the spring. Make sure you have some fun, too, and, uh, and <laughs> as well. Crew Newman, Crew Newman, our guest, headed to Portland State. All right, Crew, um, we're really excited to see you play. I wanted to bring you on the show. We don't often bring highs on, I think. Jackson Shellstead at Westland, we brought him on, bringing you on. Little things in high school. Keep it going. Can't wait to see you at Portland State. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Crew Newman, there he goes. Stephen Vaughn, reaction, rapid reaction. That's a winner. And, and, I, and it's interesting. We're going to have Bruce Barnum on later in the show. But I noticed that Barnum 
in when you look at his early signees, when you look at the guys today, I think there are about ten more today. Uh, the the majority of these programs, he's getting players from programs that are playing for state championships and winning state championships in a lot of cases. Can you take that as a coach and parlay that into success and culture with your program? Yeah, I uh, want to say first off, uh, you know, shout out because he's gonna do track. Vaughn over there at Central Catholic. He, uh, he knows, he's playing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he doesn't. He's not playing bad. Do track. He wants to get faster and uh, stronger. So he knows what's up. He knows the great coaches over there. Uh, the track program, Coach Vaughn Holler. But uh, no, I think you're right. <laughs> it, you know what? It's interesting, John, because you look at it. you look at Crew Newman's like uh, his recruiting profile. You know, he's a he's a three star prospect that's going to Portland State. And you talked to Barney throughout the season, and he talked about how he's getting better and better recruits at Portland State because of the transfer portal and because of NIL and how everything is working out. It's really interesting to see a guy like that who, you know what, he may not have the size that you would want to see out of like a prototypical, you know, Pac-12 quarterback, but he has all the stats. He has all the intangibles. He's a winner, like you said. That's a guy that usually doesn't go to a Portland State. So it'll be, it'll be fun to watch him and his career grow at Portland State and see what he can do being overlooked like this be- just because of the the era that we're in in college football where these guys are transferring every single season and coaches are just looking for the portal and not going for these you know high school seniors. So I, it's exciting to see a guy like that going to play on a level in the big sky and you know maybe he comes in right away and plays well. I don't know, but it's it's interesting to see that a three-star guy like that is going to Portland State and Barney knows, you know, he talks about that. He's getting better and better recruits year after year now. The the coaches at the top of Division One football and basketball are all talking about getting older. Now, I hadn't heard that until about a year, year and a half ago, where coaches were, you know, it used to be basketball and football coaches talked about getting longer. And, you know, yeah, we, they wanted guys with wingspan, they big frames, tall. They wanted to be longer. Uh, and now they're talking about getting older because they recognize that, you know, a Bo Nix at quarterback is a significant advantage. A Dillian Gabriel at quarterback, significant advantage. Michael Penix Jr., just, you know, guys with 40, 50, 60 starts at the college level, that kind of experience can really help you. And now the trickle-down effect of that is that there are so many coaches camping in the portal that there is kind of a bottleneck where you have some high school players who normally would have got scholarships, mainly like the three-star, two-star high school kids that would have got scholarships, are now finding that there's nowhere for them to go. And so what's happening is, yeah, you're seeing it in the big sky. Montana, Montana State have always got these guys. But you're seeing it at Idaho and UC Davis and Portland State and Sacramento State. And there is even an impact, I think, down to the you know, Division three. An NAIA game where you're seeing schools like Linfield who are grabbing guys who normally would have been in the big sky. There's been like kind of a trickle down effect. So I think the big sky football, you know, programs and a lot of the group of five schools uh, that are going to play in the Mountain West, for example, or Conference USA, they're going to, you're going to see better players, better recruits, younger, better recruits. And we had Jake Dickert on yesterday's show, Washington State football coach, yesterday's show. He talked about the fact he signed 23 high school players in the early signing period. 23. Why? Because he's got access to players and talent that he never had before. Well, and I, I, I was going to say, and I think for coaches like that and, you know, Trent Bray and programs that would go Oregon State that want to develop programs, that's going to be huge for them because they can lock in on them and develop them from day one. So it's 
it's just a new age, John. I, I'm excited to see it. And a guy like Crew Newman would probably be a Mount West guy, but now he's a big sky guy. Those programs like Washington State, Oregon State, they have to be salivating at this type of stuff. They're getting better recruits than they've ever gotten because of this transfer portal. And just with the way they coach and the way they develop, maybe it makes them into you know that power five conference that they want to get to. Yeah, and I think, you know, I had asked, you know, I'm trying to be careful here because I don't want to, you know, burn a coach who had talked about Crew Newman to me. But it was a Pac-12 coach who knew of Crew Newman and had seen film on him and told me he liked him. He said, I really like him. He's a really good athlete. Trying to figure out if we have room for him in the quarterback room. And the problem is said school that I'm talking about was also in the market for transfer quarterbacks. And so they probably just didn't end up with a place for crew Newman or he would have been on a PAC 12 roster. So here's the thing. There's a, there's a a symbiotic relationship that is developed in the big sky conference between high school players and the, and the teams in that conference, like it or not, the teams in that conference are, are now pitching to high school kids. Come play for us, come play one or two or three years and if you have success, you may have an opportunity uh, as a stepping stone to get, you know, to uh, you know, to a higher division of football. And if not, worst case scenario, hey, you're playing a good level of football. You're competing. You got a scholarship. I mean, it's a great position for a kid like Crew Newman to be in because, like, you know, without it, he would be at a community college, right? And he would be at a community college trying to get get a year or two of great. Uh, you know, film and and grow a little bit and see what happens. But I just think, just keep an eye on this kid. I got a feeling he's going to play a lot of downs at Portland State, get a lot of snaps, and do a lot of good things. Leave it here. Our big splash is coming up. Stoked about tomorrow's show. We got some big guests on tomorrow. Do you want to just wait, or do you want me to tell you who they are? Maybe give us, like, one. Since you had guests, plural. One of them. Maybe give a sneak. We have two two really good guests. Um, one of them is a former Trailblazers head coach. Mm. How about that? I like I like that. Who also got choked by Latrell Sprewell? <laughs> Any guesses? I think I got one. <laughs> I think that uh, okay. I think that narrows it down a little bit. PJ Carlissimo on tomorrow's show. He just uh, just messaged me. Said he'd love to come on the show. Uh, PJ tomorrow in the 3 o'clock hour. How about that? Put that one down. Um, I had a really weird thing happen a couple of weeks ago in a movie theater. Can I talk about this? I'd have to get this off my chest. I keep meaning to talk about it, and it's been bothering me. Anna's not here right now. Maybe later she can add some context. But it was she agreed. It was It was a strange thing that happened in a movie theater. You know how you go to the movies now, and they have assigned seating? You know? You you haven't been to a movie, have you, Stephen? Um, I'm talking yeah, to the right I did, guy. Well, I didn't know that they actually had a sign. I know that they do for yeah. some theaters. I didn't know it was for all theaters. No, the th- most of the theaters we go to the Regal theaters, okay? And those theaters, you know, they have an app. They let you pick your seat on the app, and I actually kind of like that because, you know, it, let's say you're going to be arriving right at, uh, you know, you're you're pulling in right at the uh, previews. And you're coming into a dark theater. There's no, like, where are we going to sit? There's no, you know, you know, you have a seat. You can go stand in line at the concession stand. You don't have to divide up and be like, you go get the seats. Stake out the campground. I'll get the popcorn. You don't have to do that. So the theater has assigned seating. And the so Anna, uh, on the way to the movie, she said, should we just buy the tickets now? I said, yeah, buy the tickets because, you know, we're going to be, it's going to be really tight getting in. We were like, uh 
heading to the theater. And so she grabs, like, I'm just going to say hypothetically, she grabs row J, seats seven and eight. And she held it up to me and she said, what do you think of these? And, uh, and, and I could see that the theater had almost nobody in it. And I said, you know, we're kind of close to those other people. Like, maybe move it over. Okay, so we did row J seats like four and five, okay? Good seats, not too close to the screen. That matters to me. Um, you know, more towards the aisle than the middle. But it's okay. Like, it was, you know, hey, now we're moved on to more important things. We're heading over to the theater. We park. Uh, we go in. Uh, I got to get in line and get my popcorn and my soda because I'm at a movie. And then we go in uh, and we go walk down to the theater that we're going to see the movie in. And uh, the movie was American Fiction, which is fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, and we go into the theater and the previews are on, but it's dark. And so I'm leading because as the uh, hunter-gatherer, in the relationship, uh, you know, I feel like in the dark I should be leading. I, if, is that the gentlemanly thing to do? I don't know. I have to ask Esquire magazine and and find out. But I'm leading into the theater, and Anna's trailing right behind me, and she's carrying the popcorn. And I get to row J, and I start to count the seats, and I realize there's a guy who's sitting in seat four. Like, we have four and five. Now, the theater's almost empty. But he has, like, a bunch of stuff that's strewn around, like, seat five, seat six. You know, he's kind of made himself at home. And uh, I kind of like the, you know, maybe if the movie had been on and we had been arriving late into the movie, I would have been like, just pick it. Let's pick another seat. This guy looks comfortable. But the previews were still on. And so I said to him, A, we've got four and five. And... He says to me, this guy, guy's like in his 60s, he's by himself at a movie. It's a whole other topic. But he's by himself at a movie, and he says, are you really going to do that? And I was like, we, like, these are the seats we have. And my part of my concern is, if I don't sit in my seat, what happens if somebody else walks in? You know, let's say I bump down to seat 12, which he, you know, all he had to do was slide over like two seats. But let's say I bump down to seat 12 and then somebody walks in and goes, hey, you're in my seat. Now I got to move rows. No, he's in my seat. So I said, yeah, you know, you're in my seat. And it was kind of a Larry David moment. And so he's muttering. He's complaining. He's picking up his jacket. He has a couple of Ziploc bags with snacks that he brought from home in it. He's got a some kind of container of liquid that he brought from home that's got, you know, some drink in it. And he's muttering and he's walking down and he looks back at me and I just caught enough of this. He says, you're weird <laughs> for making him move. And to that point, I was like, I, I couldn't help myself. Theater was rather empty. And I said, hey, join the world, buddy. Like, you know, everybody else is sitting where they're supposed to sit. If you wanted those seats, get online and pick them. Like, what did you think? You just walk in and walk on an airline and sit in any seat you want on the airplane? We already had that discussion. So tell me, like, who's in the wrong there? Am I out of line for saying get out of my seat? No, but I do love the the comeback of you're weird. I think that's a great <laughs> that's a great insult at you. Like, because there's no, how do you respond to that? Like, you can't respond to that. 
I um, said join the world. Uh, I don't know what that means. Exactly. The yeah. ocean called and they want their shrimp back. <laughs> I feel like he won the insult battle uh, with the <laughs> you're weird, but I, you're in the right. Because, look, this is made so when it is a packed theater, like, yeah, you're going to take someone else's seat. It's going to cause a whole chain reaction. So you got the seats for a reason. And so he's in the wrong. He's in the wrong, definitely. Um, I, I don't, I can't, I couldn't imagine like putting up a fit with somebody when they can prove like, these are my seats. You need to move. And then like me getting knew, mad at them. Yeah. Like, he knew he was in the wrong seat. Like he didn't pull his thing out and go, Oh, you're right. No, no, he knew. He, he just, knew he, he just doubled down. It was like, no, like you're in the, you're weird for wanting to sit in your you're seats. weird for wanting your seat is a weird thing to me. Like, you know, and so, you know, the whole movie, I'm enjoying the movie rather, but the whole movie He's down there with his Ziploc bags, eating his, you know, trail mix that he brought and whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm weird <laughs> the whole time. You know he packed tons of, he had a snack bag. He had a full snack bag from home that he brought like, in, saving the money, you know. I don't know if it was his snack bag. Maybe he took somebody else's snack bag, too, trying to take my seat at the movie theater. But here's my thing. Like, if I'm walking in and the movie's already on, I feel like once the movie starts... You give up, like, you know, it's like arriving to a campsite late. You know, you've given up a certain degree of ownership of the seats. If you're in you know, the movie started and you better just find a seat and sit down and not be in a, a distraction to the other people in the theater. But if the previews are on and the lights are still not down, you better be sitting where you're supposed to be sitting, especially with the theater that's empty. Like, it's empty. It's just as easy for him to slide down a few seats and not obstruct me rather than displace me. You I had, don't know. You had time on the clock. You still had time on the clock before the buzzer totally. rang. You, you're in the right on this one. Try it at an NBA game. Try it at an NFL game. Try it at an airplane. See how it works for you. We'll see who's weird. All right, Punch It Audio's coming up. Uh, 5 o'clock hour, Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, will be with us. Uh, we're going to hear a lot of sound from the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, Brock Purdy, going to be a big one. Saw the reports about Chip Kelly interviewing with another NFL team. Interviewing with the Seattle Seahawks for their offensive coordinator opening. How badly does Chip Kelly want out of college football? I guess if you think about Chip Kelly, you don't I don't immediately think about a guy who would probably love to just go be a coordinator, but then again, Boston College's coach left college head coaching job to go be the D coordinator of the Green Bay Packers. Maybe Chip Kelly's had enough. We'll find out. We're gonna talk a lot about signing day, national letter of intent, some colleges adding some talent today. The NFL will dominate Punch It Audio, among other things. How much is too much Taylor Swift? We'll try to answer that question as well. Super Bowl Sunday coming up on Sunday. Let's play Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with the University of Oregon football coach Dan Lanning talking about the transfer portal, how it has changed recruiting. 
Punch it. Well, it's giving you an opportunity to add some, you know, um, some great additions to your program. Um, some guys that you feel like, again, can can uh, plug holes and be able to compete, create the competition that I think everyone so desires to be the best version of themselves. So uh, it's been a, a great piece for us, and I think it also speaks volumes about, um, you know, what we've been able to do within our program as far as what we don't lose to the portal. Um, and we're not losing guys because we have great relationships, and, and I think that, that really matters. Dan Lanning telling reporters today that this recruiting class is the most talented roster that he's ever had. The Oregon Ducks' um, 29-player class has 22 four-star recruits, six three-stars, and a two-star punter. Not bad for Dan Lanning as he heads off to the Big Ten Conference. Trent Bray, meanwhile, at Oregon State. How is he feeling? About the state of Oregon State football. Trent Bray heading to a big recruiting party tonight in the Portland metropolitan area. Here he is talking about his class. Punch it. I feel really good. It's probably more encouraged now than I've been um, in a while. Uh, just from the, the guys that are still here from the roster and, and their buy-in and loyalty to this place and their enjoyment of being at this place. And then the new guys that have come in that that see the vision of what this place has in front of them, um, the opportunity we have over the next two years to do something really special. It's been it's been fun to see that buy-in and then kind of see them all come together this last month and and it just it just feels really good and I'm I'm excited for spring ball to start. I'm excited for spring ball, but he's going to be talking to boosters tonight and fans tonight. Really important. Some season ticket renewals at Oregon State went out for the upcoming football season. They're going to have seven home games. That helps Trent Bray, but he's going to have to be good on the field. The prevailing thought was that if Jonathan Smith had stayed at Oregon State, Oregon State was going to win 9, 10, 11 games next season, playing a schedule that includes six Mountain West Conference opponents, Purdue at home, Oregon at home. It is an interesting schedule. Uh, Without Jonathan Smith, you lose a lot in the portal. But Trent Bray trying to put it back together, keep it together. How many can he win? Can he get eight? Can he get nine? Can he think about, will Oregon State be in a conversation for a potential at-large playoff berth in year one for Trent Bray? We will see. But one of these things that has nothing to do with the actual football, but everything to do with the football, is how much enthusiasm the head coach can drum up about the recruiting class and about spring ball and about the upcoming season. And that may not be Trent Bray's strength. He is a football, nuts and bolts, X's and O's guy. He's going to have to get better at the other stuff. Now, Bray's coming on the show. We're going to do like a 20, 25-minute interview. Maybe Friday, probably next week. Um, I'd rather do that than do like a five-minute interview right now while he's driving up to Portland. But he's going to have to be good in front of that room. I think it's part of the job that... A lot of first-year coaches don't think about and talk about. Let's pivot to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Baker Mayfield breaking down Brock Purdy. Talks about the level at which Purdy is playing. Here's Baker. Punch it. If you're executing the system to what's being called and, and what you're being asked to do, people can slap a game manager title on it, but you're executing at a very high level. That's game-changing. And so if you're able to do it consistently like Brock has done, that's that's an elite level of quarterback play, and you can't ask for much else. And so that's, I don't know. I'm a big fan of Brock. Obviously, 
short little quarterbacks. We we all we try and stick together <laughs> with the gritty attitude, the chips on our shoulder. But no, I'm I'm a fan of his, and um, I don't think he's a game manager. Brock Purdy goes six one two twenty. Used to feed a little bit more in the NFC Championship game, but obviously had a nice season: four thousand two hundred eighty yards, thirty one touchdowns, completed almost seventy percent of his passes. Uh, you know, threw eleven interceptions on the year. Uh, good season for him. It will all come down, though, to one game against the Kansas City Chiefs. He doesn't need to outplay Patrick Mahomes. Brock Purdy just needs to stay within the system, distribute the football to guys like Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. He's got a lot of weapons around him. I hope he realizes he doesn't need to do anything that he hasn't done to this point. Meanwhile, Cam Newton's got some advice for Brock Purdy. What is it, Cam? Punch it. I would tell him, uh, silence the noise and just do what he's been doing. I think we have to stop this narrative that I do not like Brock Parody. That's not the case. I'm a fan of Brock Parody, right? And what he's been able to do has been wowing from a fan as well as a person who's played this game. But I just call it how I see it. And I think what he's been able to do with getting guys the football has been something that we've seen um, a lot of people do, but not at this level. Cam Newton focused on the result and not the process, I think. Look, and and maybe for somebody who's as talented as Cam Newton, just go out and silence the critics. Silence the noise is the kind of self-talk he gave to himself. But Brock Purdy's a different kind of player. I think it really becomes about keeping it simple, making the right reads, getting the ball where it needs to go. Don't worry about silencing the noise. I think he's just got to go out and make plays. J.J. Burden was on the show yesterday, former Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver. He had great message. If you missed the interview, grab the podcast. But Burden was fantastic. He talked about the experience factor. How does it help in a situation like the Super Bowl? Certainly the experience on the side of the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's J.J. Burden. Punch it. It makes a big difference because when you got guys who've been there, done that, Patrick, you got Travis, obviously even the coach too, those guys know how to prepare the newer guys, prepare the younger guys, and help them understand what it's going to take to maintain your composer, composure but still raise your level of play in this big game. And so when you're – you know, when you're in the huddle and you can look over and see, it's kind of like what I used to do with Joe Montana. You look over and you see a guy that has been there, done that. It just kind of calms you. It gives you that confidence to know that you just got to do your job because he's going to do his job. It's a great point by Burden. Patrick Mahomes has been in this situation, thrived in this situation, won the Super Bowl a year ago. It'll be interesting to see if the 49ers can can neutralize that that poise that the Chiefs will have in this moment, in this game, and be disruptive uh, aside from it. Meanwhile, Jim Nance talking on the Dan Patrick Show about you-know-who. How many cutaways? How many let's take a shot up at the uh, luxury suite and see how she's doing? How, many, how much is too much when it comes to showing Taylor Swift on the Super Bowl broadcast? Jim Nance, punch it. How much is too much and how much is not enough, in your opinion? It's for, all for Super Bowl. Listen, it's all about instincts. The way I call it, the way he directs it, Mike, it's all, it's got to be a feel thing. You know, Kelsey makes a big play, he's going to cut to her for a second or two. That doesn't mean it needs commentary with yeah. that shot. It just kind of blends in with the replay and a cra- another crowd shot. But I've never said 
on the cough switch. Hey, give me a shot of, <laughs> of Taylor right now. And there's been this uproar about how much we're showing her, and I don't get it. I mean, at the AFC Championship game, Travis had a huge part in her win, and they cut to her a number of times, but in the end, someone did this study on it. It was 44 seconds is how long she was on our three-hour and 15-minute broadcast. To that point, media experts are predicting about a 21% uptick in viewership because of you-know-who. So CBS is not going to complain about, you know, whether it's 44 seconds or a minute, minute and a half. I still think my friend Drew's idea about going split screen and calling it the uh, Swift cast is a good uh, is a good idea. Just put the camera on her, put the camera on the game on the other side of the screen, have that channel available for people who are interested in it and let everybody else focus on the football. I don't mind it. I find it interesting uh, the uh, seven-year-old and the nine-year-old in our household seem to be into it. So, you know, they, they, if they're more interested in the game because of that, then so be it. Michael Penix Jr. talking about what it's been like to be part of college football in this era. NIL, transfer portal, here's Penix, punch it. It, it is different in a lot of ways. You know, um, like the whole transfer portal thing, you know, for me, you know, whenever I was going through it, you know, it wasn't about the NIL stuff for me, you know, but um, it was about finding a place where I can get the best opportunity to, you know, help myself be in the best position to, you know, be successful throughout my career. So, um, but, it, I mean, you see it now sometimes, you know, some guys are going based on NIL and stuff like that, you know, but I can't fault anybody, you know, for their decisions and uh, what they feel is best for their future, you know, but um, I feel like the whole NIL thing is a blessing, though, because I feel like, you know, for a long time, you know, college players should have been uh, getting paid for, Absolutely. for playing. Um, yeah. it's, it's super excited to be able to see that happening now. So. You're going you're gonna to be hard-pressed to find anybody who says college players shouldn't share in the success that their programs, their coaches, the game itself has enjoyed. Like, nobody's going to be like, no, you shouldn't earn. But if the NCAA had been more on the ball, they would have let the air out of the balloon slower in a controlled way that wouldn't have been as disruptive or shocking to the system. Years ago, players should have been allowed to slowly enjoy or share in that financial success and be able to capitalize on their name and their image and their likeness. Because the wheels and the rails and the door has been blown off the hinges in the last year and a half, two years, because the portal and NIL arrived, you know, in 2018, the portal arrives. 2021, the the NIL system arrives. It was it was like gasoline in a match. And I think that's part of the problem is people are trying to make sense of it, put it back on the rails, get it under control, some semblance of transparency, and not have it just be unrestricted free agency. And for crying out loud, coach at Boston College leaving the college game to go to the NFL to be an assistant coach. Chip Kelly interviewing for multiple offensive coordinator jobs, even though he's the head coach at UCLA. What more evidence do we need? David Shaw leaving Stanford. Chris Peterson saying, no thanks. Nick Saban saying, I'm out. What more evidence do we need from within the ecosystem that something's wrong? Like, big names are fleeing and going, this isn't for me anymore. But, John, on the field... I would argue that it was one of the more entertaining seasons in college football ever. Like, we didn't know who the best team was. And going into the college football playoff, 
we thought all four teams had a legitimate chance. When was the last time that happened? And now we're going to a 12-team playoff. Like, I would argue that NIL and the transfer portal has made it so the ultimate end game for a national champion has made it more uh, competitive than it ever I, has been. I need a bigger sample size. I get what you're saying. I agree with you on this last season. I need a larger sample size before. Like, my, my wife and I do this all the time. You know, we'll put the get kids to bed, like, half an hour earlier, and we'll be like, oh, that really worked. And we're like, that was one night. Let's let's see if it works tomorrow. Like, the sample size is too small. But I get what you're saying. Like, it was entertaining. And, and there have been some byproducts of the portal and NIL era that have been surprising. Like, suddenly Oregon's a better job than Alabama? Possibly? Maybe? I don't know. But let's wait and see. I think there's some negative aspects to this. I would love to see transparency. I think it should all be out in the open. We should know. Like, if Oregon... And Ohio State are spending more money than everybody in NIL. That figure should be out there somewhere. We should be able to be like, hey, you know, the New York Knicks are spending a hundred million dollars on their basketball team, and they only won, you know, forty-eight games this year. We, you know, everybody can kind of say like, what you got for what you paid for. If Oregon and Ohio State are outspending everybody and outplaying everybody, just as we have revenue numbers for the athletic department, just as we know that the the head coach's salaries and the assistant coach pools are X, Y, Z. We should know what they're spending in NIL. At the very least, it would create a market, and it would make it, uh, you know, make it more transparent. So you, you, you know, you, you alleviate some of the backroom deals that are potentially going on here. Tony Pollard plays for the Dallas Cowboys. He's a running back. He's been off social media. He left social media, got rid of his Instagram midway through last season. He was on the Pat McAfee show today, and uh, apparently he just found out that the team's defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, left last week to become head coach of the Commanders. Here's Tony Pollard. Punch it. Um, You know, it's crazy. <laughs> See, I hadn't been on social media, like, <laughs> I kind of I got rid of Ooh. Instagram like midway through the season. How come? How come? Too much people being negative. I mean, being a, a cowboy, you just have to find ways to keep your mental on point. You know. Yeah, keep the noise out. Yeah. Did you just find out you lost your defensive coordinator? I just found out right now. Oh, hey, he's the congratulations, newsbreaker. Hey, he's the newsbreaker. Dan yeah. Quinn's the head coach of Washington. Dan Quinn, head coach, Washington, Washington Commanders. Backwards hat show. How's he gonna do? Yeah. I mean, I'm. I don't doubt Dan Quinn at all and whatever he's doing, head coaching, defensing, defensive coordinator, whatever it is. You know, he's he's going to find a way to get the, the most out of the guys that he coaches. You know, he, have a, a, he does a great job, you know, just being relatable to the guys and, you know, just being there for him. Look, I'm, uh, I, I get it. You're off social media, but you're, this guy was hired six days ago. Do you buy that? Do you buy that he didn't know? I do buy it. Yeah, I could. You could hear it in his voice, but I. I just think it's. It kind of tells us, you know. And look, maybe he's not alone. All right, there are a lot of people under the age of thirty who probably get or got most of their news on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and aren't paying attention to what's written, what's talked about. I. I kind of makes me wonder about the culture of the Dallas Cowboys, and how. Like, how can a player on the team not know that the defensive coordinator is gone? <laughs> like, not one guy, not one teammate texted him, be like, "Oh man, did you see Dan Quinn left?" But these, t- like, the offenses and defenses of NFL teams will sometimes operate like they're completely separate units. 
It's not like, uh, you know, on the vast majority of teams over history, you don't have players that are playing both ways. If you're not seeing each other at practice, you're not at the facility, you're in the offseason, maybe he's been in Cancun, I don't know. But I, it, it's, to me, it's more of an indictment of kind of a generation. Because I, and I ask people, a lot of times I'll say, hey, how do you get your news? And younger people will tell me, like, you know, I get it on Twitter or I get it on Facebook or I get it on Instagram or, or I listen to the radio or, you know, maybe they watch TV. But it's different than a generation ago where everybody was tuned into television, tuned into radio, reading newspapers. So I'll cut him some slack, but come on. Does he know who the president is? I don't know. Leave it here. You got the bald faced truth statewide on the BFT radio network. I got friends who are messaging me saying, What do you mean, where do I get my news? I get it from you. <laughs> well, you better hope that I'm reading, paying attention, watching television, listening to radio, gathering all the string. And by the way, sorting through the nonsense, that is a big part of it these days. Well, we know you're on the TikTok, so. I am on the TikTok. I have grown that audience substantially. Um, tell me if I'm doing it right. If you are a TikToker out there, find me on TikTok or Instagram. You can find me there as well. Uh, having a lot of fun with those platforms, but um, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to reach younger people there and introduce them to my writing and introduce them to this radio show and inform and entertain. So I'm not like posting photographs of me living my best life. If that's what you're wondering. I'm using it a little differently. Maybe I'm using it irresponsibly. Uh, Bruce Barnum coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Larry on Twitter wants to know, why does NIL need to be more transparent? Well, I'm glad you asked, Larry. Part of why NIL should be more transparent is because that transparency casts sunshine in a way that NIL done in the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, never had. Think about it. There are some schools out there in basketball and in football that have been doing NIL before NIL was legal. And so what made this era different was it's supposed to be all above board. It's not supposed to be handing somebody a bag of cash. It's not supposed to be just buying a player it's not supposed to be just a, we're going to pay you to turn on the sprinklers, but not you don't have to turn on the sprinklers. It's supposed to be above board. It's supposed to be on the table, in the sunshine, out front. But part of the problem that you have in today's NIL world is you've got agents who are involved who are lying to the schools, lying to the athletes who are in the portal, lying to the schools. So there's a detrimental effect, number one, to the athlete, if you have an agent who is telling you when you're in the portal, Larry, let's say you're the athlete, you get in the portal, agent says to you, hey, I can get you $250,000 from school A. I've got a deal in hand. Uh, it's a good deal. Uh, you're now weighing that phantom deal against everything else that you might be offered. So, yeah, if it's not out in the open, if it's just gossip and somebody making up a number, there's a potential there, and I, you know, there have been cases, documented cases of athletes who will pick a college, announce it publicly, and then all of a sudden the deal's not there. It's not a real deal. Second thing that is happening that is also detrimental to the athlete and detrimental to the programs is the agents are lying 
to the respective schools. They're trying to negotiate deals using phantom deals as leverage. And so I've talked with athletic directors and did this series with athletic directors where I talked to more than a dozen of them about a week ago. And one of the frustrations that the ADs had is that they're spending a part of their day having to fact-check the deals, having to call around and be like, hey, did you offer $250,000? No. Did you? What are you offering? Let's compare notes. They're doing it anyway. But there's a net detriment to the other athletes in the athletic department and the job in the university when you have an athletic director who should be focused on all of the athletes, 600 athletes in the athletic department, suddenly having to worry about one athlete. I had one AD tell me I spend more time focused on one athlete or two athletes than I do uh, the rest of the 598. And so I think there's a detrimental effect there. Why should coaches have to be transparent with what they make? Why should the NFL have to say, hey, this is our cap number? Why should any of that be out in the public? Well, it keeps people honest. It keeps the playing field level. Part of sport is the idea that they're competing with, um, you know, at least the presumption of a level playing field. And so I do think that transparency, A, helps the athletes avoid making mistakes, B, creates the, uh, uh, the uh, I guess, the opportunity for an athletic department to spend its resources and its time and allocate its athletic director's time and its head coach's time to the bulk of the athletes on campus and not just track fact-checking one or two athletes and a potential deal that they made. And then the third reason is, like, if you're going to really talk about separating the haves from the have-nots in college football, you need that data point. Need to know, you know, are Oregon, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Florida State, Miami, like where, like where's the cutoff point? Where should it be? If we're going to break away 48 schools or 64 schools and they're going to say, hey, we're going to pay, we're going to compensate athletes, we are playing at a different level, we've got a different, you know, set of expectations, different kind of funding, um, then, you know, then you at least have the opportunity to say, all right, these schools should be in that group. If you don't have that NIL data point, we're all just guessing. You know, what is Iowa paying their football players? What are their football players getting? What is Boston College getting? You know, Boston College is not, you know, doesn't dominate that media market as a sports entity. You know, and I, and I think Boston College coach going to the Green Bay Packers, Chip Kelly fleeing UCLA, trying to get out. Uh, you know, we're watching David Shaw go, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm giving up a good job at Stanford. And I'm going somewhere else. We're, we're seeing this happen over and over and over again. And part of the problem is the lack of transparency. Like someday there will be a collective bargaining agreement in college football. The players will be paid. It'll all be above board. But I think one of the biggest problems of this current era of NIL and the portal has been that we just don't know. Nobody seems to know what the deals are. I had a women's basketball coach tell me last week. I said, what are the top deals? For like, uh, you know, for like a four or five star player who's a high school recruit, what are they getting? Stephen, what do you think a four or five star recruit in women's college basketball is commanding right now? Oh man, um, I have the number. I'd go fifty thousand. One fifty for a four or five star difference making player. Seems like a lot. I'm not. I'm not talking about Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark could get seven figures. I'm not. You know, I'm not talking about uh, Angel Reese. 
I'm just saying, like, a really good high school four- or five-star recruit, the number that comes with that women's college basketball player is 150. And that's before they've even produced on the college level. High school senior, 150. For a really good player, like a five-star, you know, McDonald's All-American, not Caitlin Clark. Get does, that out of your head. Does it make any difference, though, that the NCAA and these universities have always been so secretive of how much money they're making, and now that the athletes are making money, is it a double standard that we want to know how much the athletes make and it should be all in the open when we didn't really care how much the schools were making off of these athletes before they got the NIL deals? Yeah, but we could always get, like, you know, there's some exceptions. Like, private schools don't have to report. But we could always get – we always got the figures. You know, we, we know what Oregon, Oregon State, and Texas, and Oklahoma – you know, USA Today has a terrific database where they put out sort of what the revenues are in the athletic department. So you could see where the money's coming in. But I think there's a problem with the portal. And I'm not saying it should be capped. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should cap what players can make. I'm saying we should know what they're making. And, you know, they're going to have to file tax returns. And that, that became a whole other thing. I talked to different uh, coaches, athletic directors, and athletes in the last year who all said it was kind of a rude awakening when the 1099s started showing up for a bunch of college athletes who had never – really thought about like hey i just got a hundred thousand or fifty thousand or i got you know a ninety thousand dollar package that included a car and an apartment and all of a sudden here came a 1099 at the end of january and everybody was like oh you didn't set money aside for taxes on that like there you know there's there's some raised eyebrows in in certain segments of uh of society i got a great question speaking of taxes by the way i got a great question in the Monday mailbag this week about taxes for endorsements. Uh, Michael Jordan, sneaker deal with with Nike. Um, Damian Lillard, Adidas. Uh, LeBron with Nike. And the question was, do those individuals pay state income tax in Oregon because Nike is headquartered in Oregon, because Adidas is headquartered in Oregon? And I reached out and I talked with two tax experts who told me no that the state of Oregon does not tax that income because it is not perceived as income that is earned in the state of Oregon. Conversely, the jock tax does exist. And what I mean by that is when visiting players play a game at Moda Center, Steph Curry, for example, uh, plays a game at Moda Center, uh, he pays uh, 182nd of his NBA salary. He is taxed as a tax earner in the state of Oregon. And so it's really interesting at the end of the NBA season, the tax professionals who help these players like Steph Curry, you know, Steph Curry paid taxes in like 35 states last year. And it, you know, included, it was like Illinois and, you know, everywhere else that has income tax, Wisconsin, and, you know, played a game at the Bucks. You know, you, it's 182nd of your salary. And it was estimated that the state of California took in almost a billion dollars in tax revenue for team visiting players who played games, played NFL games, Major League Baseball games, uh, NBA games, came into the state of California and played games. And so you want to talk about, you know, sports entities that is a moneymaker. There are some states out there that, that have, you know, state income tax that are collecting that jock tax and doing quite well with it. So I do think it was above board, at least from a standpoint of, you know, keeping – transparency 
and trying to figure out what we're dealing with. And I, that's part of the problem with NIL is you don't know what you're dealing with. And and I don't even need to know, like, let's just say if you wanted to remove the players' names from it, you just said football player, University of Oregon, $150,000 NIL deal. That's enough for me because we can we can gather approximately what that team is taking in. Bo Nix, uh, others would jump off the page, of course, but I just think that part of the problem in trying to regulate all this stuff is that we just don't even know what we're dealing with. And I think it's concerning. 503-417-7575. You tell me, should it be transparent or not? Well, it's just uncharted waters, right? And at, at some point, there's going to have to be money guys that are working for these universities, like just, you know, working the books and figuring out how much money they have and have them to give out. And you're right. I mean, I think at some point it does have to be knowledge, like public knowledge uh, of how much these players are making because it's going to be, you know, upwards in a million dollars. Like this is it's not just chump change anymore. Like it is a lot of money that we're dealing with. And uh, you're going to the tax level like that. Like, that's just it's a wild thing, man. And when they start to pay the athletes, we're going to know, right? When it, when they become employees of the school, the public schools, will that will be public record. You'll be able to know. What did Oregon pay its football team this year? What, you know, we know the expenses and the deductions. And the other dirty little secret that's going on with the NILs is, you know, these collectives, is that when they first were launched, quite a few of them were launched as nonprofits. And they don't technically qualify under the IRS definition of a nonprofit. And so you had, you know, the federal government coming out and saying, we are going to take a look at some of these NIL collectives. And then very suddenly, a few of them folded and then reorganized not as a 501c3. So, you know, the mission of the 501c3 was, uh, you know, more or less, let's make the uh, football team as good as we can possibly get it. That wasn't suiting the definition by the IRS standards. But I just I think I absolutely think you have you need some transparency there. Um, you know, when the deals first came out, Cam Ward was the first one that I really found out about. The Washington State quarterback who's now moved on to the University of uh, Miami and Mario Cristobal. Uh, Cam Ward got a ninety thousand dollar deal. It, it included a pickup truck, fifty thousand in walking around money, and and use of an apartment and some airline tickets for his parents to come from Texas to go to Pullman, Washington, to see football games. It was a $90,000 deal. It turned out that was very modest by NIL standards. But what did Cam Ward do at the end of the season? He jumped in the portal and entertained offers. And when the offers weren't good enough, did you catch what he did, Stephen? No. So the offers weren't good enough. Cam Ward kind of talked about, you know, would he go to Miami? Would he go somewhere else? And then Cam Ward got on social media, and uh, he said, uh, you know, he posted a little clip, said that he was uh, headed possibly declaring for the NFL draft. And I said at the time, and I tweeted at the time, this felt like a kid that was negotiating. You know, I'm go- I'm, I'm going to declare for the NFL draft. He didn't say, I am de- declaring. He said, I'm going to declare. And I thought, are you declaring or not? And really, he was negotiating. He ended up at Miami. He got the deal he wanted from the collective at Miami. It was all a negotiation. And it's part of what's wrong with college football and why these coaches are running for the hills. Do you think that that strategy is going to work for teams like Miami? I mean, we saw it kind of work for some of these quarterbacks, but you know, Michael Penix Jr. I think is a little different. 
these teams like Miami, Texas A&M that are just living in the portal and getting these high, you know, highly ranked guys, is this going to work long term? I I don't think it works for a school like Miami. I think they're 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 going to patch. It's a patchwork thing. And but part of the problem was when Cam Ward got in the portal, there was all this talk that he had a bunch of seven figure deals that were available to him, and it really wasn't true. He didn't. You know, even Brock Hewitt. It was talking on his radio show. He had it wrong. The next six, seven days in the amount of free agent dollars thrown around right now in college football with the portal opening next Monday. Yeah. Like, you think the coaching changes and all this stuff's interesting? Uh-uh. Mm. Wait till you see where, in, you know. <laughs> Everybody I heard, ends up going. Let's just say I heard from one source and a pretty dialed-in one that Cam Ward, right? And this is what just drives these guys crazy. Okay, have the portal open on Monday. Let's make this all a fair game. Oh, no, no. All the agents and the runners and the money guys are already out there. Cam Ward has 10 seven-figure deals waiting for him. He has 10 different deals from around the country that will pay him seven figures to come be their quarterback. That is How ludicrous is college football right now? Now, it turns out Cam Ward then said he's going to the NFL, then reversed a few days later, ended up at Miami. I don't believe he had 10 deals out there, but I think somebody's telling Brock Heward that he's got 10 days out there and that somebody's probably an agent. If you're a fan of, you know, let's say Miami, if you're a Miami fan, do you want a guy like Cam Ward who is willing to just leverage his eligibility just for more money? Like, Cam Ward's a really good player. I think he's a really good quarterback and he's going to be successful, but... Like is that the is that the quarterback the leader that I want of my team my school of a guy that I just is going to try to leverage ways to as much money as possible and just you know basically throw things out there like he's going to get all this money I, it just seems like not a great leadership strategy in my and mind he's, and he's not you know I don't I don't view Cam Ward as like a top ten quarterback that's the other thing like he's he's okay he's good he's good minus he's okay plus in in Mario Cristobal's system at Miami I I don't I don't expect that to be a huge hit, but I think he and his agent used the NFL draft and used the illusion that there were other offers out there to get you know the best possible deal that they could get. Um, I think if there were more transparency there, it would have been a healthier process. He probably ends up in the same place, and you know I, I don't even know what the expectations are for Cam Ward at Miami in that offense. Leave it here. You got the BFT. It's National Girls and Women in Sports Day. What does that mean to you? Steven, National Girls and Women in Sports Day. I mean, it just means we need to acknowledge uh, the good women in sports and how good they are. Like, the games have changed. And uh, this, we talked about the skill level and a lot of men's games have improved a lot. You can say the same thing about a lot in the women's games, too, as well. The skills that it, these women have are just amazing now. So it, it's an annual day of observance today held during the first week of February to acknowledge the accomplishments of female athletes and recognize the influence of sports participation for women and girls and also to honor the progress in uh, uh, towards equality for women in sports. Uh, happened uh, The first year was 1987, and uh, President Reagan signed the proclamation, and uh, it became a thing. And... It's interesting today because I'm watching on social media how it has kind of been, I guess it's it's fine, but it's like, you know, I guess most visibly on social media, I'm seeing a lot of women who are announcing that they were grateful to have worked in sports and covered sports and watched amazing female athletes and 
Uh, and for me, more as a as a girl dad, I am thinking that the biggest changes that I have seen is that it's like with my oldest daughter who's in college. I remember having conversations with her about what's possible. And I remember seeing maybe the first female referees on fields and watching Violet Palmer call an NBA game and seeing maybe uh, Brandy Chastain score a goal and thinking to myself, like, little girls can look at that and go, hey, one day I can grow up and be an athlete. I'm not having that same conversation with the seven and nine-year-old, and I view that as progress because I just sort of know now that they know and they have seen and they have grown up with seeing Sabrina Yadescu play and, you know, the bulk of their childhood, is the, the sweet spot of their childhood that's happening now, nobody has to sit back and be like, you know, hey, girls, pay attention. You know, you're watching women play sports. Like, they're just seeing it. And, and, and I think that, to me, in addition to everything that is being recognized and honored and talked about today, you know, the student athletes that are being talked about in college, the coaches and the administrators and the staff members who are being talked about, and people certainly have paved the way, uh, including journalists who are covering the games and in locker rooms. And I think it's really cool that this is all happening. But I'm also, like, tuned in as a girl dad going, you know, I don't really feel inclined. Like, the, the women's NCAA regional basketball tournament is going to be happening in Portland coming up in March, okay? We're like month-plus away from March Madness at the Moda Center where you're going to have the West Regional final played. And presumably Oregon State's going to be in that region. Iowa's probably going to be in that region. They were in it last year in the West with Caitlin Clark. Like, presumably we're going to see some high-level women's college basketball at Moda Center. And I know I'm going to take the two, three daughters, whoever wants to go to the games, I'm going to take them to see a game. And I know that I'm not going to sit there in the stands like I might have 15 years ago, and I'm not going to nudge my kid and go, see, you can see women out on the court. How does that feel to you? Like, you know, trying to be like almost clumsy about it. I'm just going to let them absorb it because they've just kind of grown up watching it. And I think, you know, you know, call it progress, call it a victory, call it, Call it just sign of advancement in our culture and our society and sports and that but I just think we're at a place that is different than it was fifteen, twenty years ago, where I might have nudged the young daughter beside me and said, See the referee? There's a woman out there, she's uh calling this game today. No, we're you know, we've seen it now in the NFL, it's become normalized and we've seen NBA officials, we there's lots of women's college basketball at a high level being played. Um, I uh, The conversations we used to have about basketball and the women's game being boring and played beneath the rim have disappeared in this era with LSU and South Carolina and Caitlin Clark and Sabrina Ionescu before her, and we're watching just high-level, really good basketball. And I think that should be celebrated today as well in addition to, like, the conversations we're having on social media with a lot of women who cover sports who are saying, hey, I'm grateful for the women who came before me. Now, we have had female journalists who have come on this show years and years and years ago. We've been at this 17, 18 years now. But we've had women who came on the show and talked about being in a locker room when 
they weren't welcome in a locker room or being the first woman to cover a team and be in a locker room. And I saw things early in my career that were disturbing. Uh, there were women covering teams that I covered who were made to feel uncomfortable by the athletes and by the coaches and by, you know, I can remember being in a Major League Baseball clubhouse and watching players go out of their way to kind of basically be like, this is our clubhouse, women shouldn't be in here. They weren't saying it, but they were sort of doing things that made some of the women that were covering the teams uncomfortable. And I just think we're so far beyond that now that that's worth recognizing as well. That you know it would be a glaring, uh, a glaring offense if anybody tried that in today's world, and and it was frankly and unfortunately, fifteen or twenty years ago, it was a that was a conversation we were having on the radio about who should be who should be allowed in the locker room and and the discomfort that some players had with it. And so, I guess today on this National Girls and Women in Sports Day, I would like to point out as the father of three daughters that it's kind of nice to be in a world where I don't feel inclined to nudge my kids and be like, hey, look out on the court. You're watching women's college basketball or you're watching the WNBA. And there would I, I, I anticipate there would be conversations years from now with the seven-year-old in particular, the nine-year-old, where they would be blown away at thinking about a time where you know, women weren't allowed to play sports or there weren't sports offered and Title IX wasn't a thing. And, you know, I'm kind of celebrating that we've uh, all kind of moved past that. All right. The five at five's coming up. Anna's got the top five stories in sports as she sees it. Also, Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, will be joining us. Talk about, um, you know, National Letter of Intent Day. Um, NIL isn't as big a deal in the Big Sky Conference as it is in some other conferences in college football, but I'll bounce it off him as well. How much transparency would he like to see out there? And uh, we'll talk about the Super Bowl. Steven, you, where are you leaning right now? Niners or Chiefs? What do you got? Uh, I'm leaning on the Niners. Um, I don't feel good about it. You know, I, I don't like Daddy Patrick Mahomes as I have all playoffs, and I've lost on every single one, but I, I just feel like uh, this is the 49ers' time, and the Chiefs' offense, I just have questions about that offense and how much they can really score. The defense for Kansas City is great, um, but I, I have trust in that San Francisco offense enough to score uh, enough points. I don't. I, it's weird to say, but I don't know that Patrick Mahomes has the firepower around him to mm. you know make that type of comeback if they get down at all. So I, I like San Francisco in the game. Um, I like them to win and the cover. The Niners' offense has got to... You know, I saw one of the one of the spreads was you know, do the Niners score three touchdowns on offense? Um, and does uh, does the kicker Moody does he get does he get two field goals and two extra points? And I'm thinking, you know, if it's that kind of game, if it's under, that's uh, that's anybody's game, and that's a game you don't want to be up against Patrick Mahomes. If I'm the Niners, I want to make this a shootout. Like I want I want points in this game, and I want the offense humming. Because you're right, I don't think Kansas City can stay with the Niners in that kind of game. All right, the 5-5 five and five's coming up. I also don't know what's going to happen in the Super Bowl, just being honest. Leave it here. So I told the story earlier in the show. I went into the movie theater, the Regal Cinemas, with Anna. We had purchased our tickets ahead of time. Row J, seats 5 and 6, I believe. Theater was pretty empty. Previews were still playing. Movie wasn't on. And this uh, this Joe McGee was sitting in the seat 
when we walked into the theater, and I politely said, hey, we've got seats five and six. He was uh, unhappy having to move his jacket in his Ziploc bags filled with trail mix. Whatever uh, drink he brought in, smuggled into the theater, and he was really unhappy about it, and he called me a weirdo. (laughs) Anna? Was I in the wrong for making that guy move? No, because there's a ripple effect. If he's in our seat, and we let that go, and we sit in a different set of seats, (laughs) Murphy's Law says somebody else will come in. I know. And we'll be in their seats, and it's just, it's a mess. You know the ultimate Larry David <laughs> moment would have been? Do you remember that lady that got on the plane, and we were happened to we happened to be in first class oh, yeah. going to Vegas? Yeah, that and was And she doozy. said, you stole my seat? <laughs> what if she had yes! walked into the movie theater, and I like we had relocated a seat 12 and 13 in the same row, which was empty. The whole row was empty. Yeah. This is what bothered me about that guy who called me a weirdo. Like, the whole row is empty. <laughs> you know how theater seating works, all right? You have an assigned seat. You bought a seat. He picked a seat when he bought his ticket. Yeah, yeah. And then chose a different seat. If he wanted a different seat, he should have just picked a different seat. <laughs> but you're the weirdo. You're the well, weirdo. Well, Steven said it was a pretty good pretty good insult by that guy yeah called me a weirdo yeah i did you say anything in yeah i did to i told him join the rest of the world this is how it works <laughs> this is this is it buddy <laughs> this is try it on an airplane this is civilized society oh i want seat 9c when i get on the airplane you know what if you want that seat book your ticket early and grab that seat <laughs> that's how it works you know This is a recurring theme. I can't wait to see what happens next. This is like, you know, you go to reserve a campsite. There's a whole culture of people who will reserve those campsites months and months in advance. Oh, yeah. Because they know the drill. Yeah. I don't know the drill, but I don't just show up at Yosemite or the (laughs) Yellowstone Park and grab, like, the prime campsite and be like, I like this one, you weirdo. Why Why are you pushing me out of here? Just plop down. I was in the right, you know? Yeah, you aren't always. You aren't always. I'm not always. I admit it. Yeah. But I was in the right that day. In that circumstance, he was kind of the weirdo. And you know what he did? Yeah. You know? Because I don't think he got a good look at me before we got in there, like, you know, how physically imposing I am. (laughs) I was going to say, why would that matter? I think it was dark, you know, coming into the theater. (laughs) And, you know, I noticed when we got up to leave the theater, he stayed seated. Oh. He didn't want any trouble, Stephen. Well, I mean, I've seen you in real life. I wouldn't want any trouble with you either. <laughs> I'm a lot bigger than that little mugshot that used to run in the paper. Let's not feed the beast, all right? <laughs> well, he's also an older man. I mean, you know, he's not trying to... Like... I'm not sure he was. Yeah, he was. He was. He, was, he, he was. Older? Yeah, okay. got a, I got a good look at him. Okay. Like, you know in the theater, like in the previews, the... Mm-hmm. The light it lights up every once in a while. Yeah, I got a pretty good look at him. Mm-hmm. I would recognize him if I saw him again today. Mm-hmm. In fact, if he's listening to the show right now and he's feeling bad about it, guess what? I forgive you. We all have bad moments. Don't you kind of? Remi- I mean, don't you miss sort of the days when you just got a ticket no. and then it's first come no. first serve and you go in and if you arrive late, you're in the first row. No, that was stressful to me. Really? Yeah. 
That's really stressful. I just felt like it was a little more no. simple back then. No, it wasn't simpler. You're, you know, no, that was a big stressful situation for me. Can you imagine any other scenario where we did that? Why don't they do that on a plane? Hey, just get on. Like yeah, a, like it's, it's a called, bus. It's called Southwest. Because <laughs> <laughs> we but do you that. still have a boarding position. Yeah. That there's still some semblance of, you know, hierarchy, <laughs> you know, as you're getting on the plane. If you got an A boarding pass, you're feeling pretty good. If you got a B, it could get a little dicey. If you have a C, it's it's a it's a veritable quandary you have when you're getting on the plane. You know, you're if you, like if you you're in steerage. C, you did not set an alarm to check in at the right <laughs> you're time. In steerage. You know? I got recently I was traveling, I can't remember where for some sporting event. Oh, it's for the national championship game, college football playoff game. And it was casually, all, it was all yeah. the it was all the uh, cancellations that were happening around that time because of a variety of airline problems, mm-hmm. including uh, door ripping off <laughs> a plane. Yeah, and uh, I ended up on Southwest, and I had boarding position A one. Oh wow! Never happens. Wow! And you know what boarding position A one does to you? What does it do? It turns you into Gollum from The Hobbit. Okay. And I, literally, I was sitting there with the A1 boarding pass, and you know what my beef was? Uh-huh. I was watching the people who raised their hand saying they needed extra time to pre-board, and I was kind of eyeballing them going, do they really? Oh my you know what? Did they just cut in front of me? <laughs> like, there was a couple of people where I'm like, your kids are old enough to get in line. Mm-hmm. You know, there should be a little bit of a, you know, like the lady in the wheelchair, fine, older, elderly person clearly needs help. Go ahead, take mm-hmm. your time, cut in front of me. Yeah. But there was a couple of families who had kids that mm-hmm. were able-bodied and, you know, the kids in their 9, 10, 11-year-old range, kind of mm-hmm. where we are. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't need extra time. You're just cutting in front of me. <laughs> you just, I had A1. I should have been up you're front. You're using your kids as tributes. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but if you can get away with it, isn't that a good strategy? Uh, it, for them, I guess, but not, not for, for the you. guy holding a one boarding pass for the first time in his life. It was a special moment for me. You're too you know? eth- you're too ethical. And they were like, "We'll take the a uh, we'll take the a boarding passes now." I kind of looked around, like, "Yeah, that's me." And a strut right down. <laughs> and then they told me, "This is the other thing." They told me when you get to the flight attendant because mm-hmm. I was a one. Yeah. Tell her that boarding is beginning. Oh, because wow. she didn't, they didn't know. So I wow. walk on, and I felt like I was part of the crew. Yeah, I felt like I should be in uniform. You were given a you know? job. I had a job. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I stepped onto the plane. The two flight attendants were talking about you know whatever they did that weekend, and uh, I said uh, boarding is beginning, and they were like, oh thanks, you know. I felt like I should get in the cockpit or something, you know. Do I need to warm this baby up too? <sighs> All right. On that note, we have the five biggest stories going on in sports. Let's do it. The five at five. Number one. The NFL Players Association is speaking up. They've taken a poll and they say that 92% of the Players Association wants to play on grass. Uh, This is the executive director, Lloyd Howell, saying that's compelling. The bottom line is that it's unquestionable that the union wants to have a working condition where they play on grass. The data collected by the union shows that injuries occur at a slower rate on natural grass fields as opposed to 
artificial turf. Do you think this has some traction here? Yeah, totally it does. I think uh, there's a cost element here that is prohibitive for some of the franchises, but some of the World Cup uh, games that are going to be played, like MetLife Stadium in New Jersey, they're talking about like replacing the playing surface there, and they want to bring grass in to play for the World Cup and keep grass afterwards. So there's a cost here, and they're going to use the World Cup, I think, to kind of justify investing in the turf. Now, the Raiders play on grass, even though in the Dome they have artificial turf as well inside Allegiant Stadium. The Raiders have this tray of grass that rolls outside of the stadium and sits in the sunlight and then gets put back into the stadium. Now, the NFL has management of that field this week when it comes to the Super Bowl. They say they're monitoring that surface closely because they do not want a repeat of what happened last year in Glendale. Remember, the players were slipping on the grass in the Super Bowl. Chiefs beat the Eagles 38-35. But uh, Jeff Miller, who is vice president of communications for the NFL, said that the surface has been nurtured from the sod farm all the way to the Super Bowl. From seed to shining seed. <laughs> That's dramatic. I wonder about the trickle-down effect of that, because I wonder if that will trickle down to colleges and high schools. I think it depends. I, like, there's just a cost to maintaining yes. and, and you know ripping out artificial service, putting in grass. And there's some places where like field turf makes sense, you know, yeah. here in the state of Oregon where we get a lot of rain, whatever, you know, you don't necessarily want a big muddy, sloggy football field when you can have a nice turf field. But the NFL players know, and we've known for years, since the 80s when they really went to artificial mm-hmm. surface, that we saw injuries that were that we never saw before. It's been blamed for it. By the way, the NFL's uh, groundskeeper, George Toma, he's known as the sod father. <laughs> Did you know that? That's fantastic. He's 95 years old. Oh, wow. And they have a new groundskeeper now. They don't have the 95-year-old guy taking care oh, of it. So okay. there's a new guy. Okay. He's saying they'll have the best playing field ever. Hmm. That's what the sod father said. So hopefully no drama around the Super Bowl. Number two. This is getting messy. Uh, the Athletics are offering buy one, get one free tickets to opening day. The Oakland A's? The Oakland A's. Yeah. But the fans are planning a boycott oh amid relocation plans to Las Vegas. So fan groups uh, are joining forces to show their disapproval of A's owner, John Fisher. <laughs> they participated in several boycotts last year, but uh, the head of this group says the protests will be taken up a notch. They're going to be tailgating in the parking lot, but not going into the stadium and not buying tickets. I love it. The A's fans are, uh, they've become like one of my favorite Major League Baseball fan bases. They're ticked off and they're petty. You know, they're petty <laughs> and they're motivated. And it's uh, interesting to watch them. Now, the mayor of Vegas came out yesterday and and said that, you know, the A's should just stay in Oakland. Let me play the clip. I uh, personally, and having lived here, even though I grew up in New York City, I have, and I'm so young, uh, I've lived in this town this year, 60 years. And so know the town like the back of my hand. I personally think they've got to figure out a way to stay in Oakland to make their dream come true. Now, she has clarified today 
coming out and saying, quote, I want to be clear that I am excited about the prospect of Major League Baseball in Las Vegas. And it may very well be that the Las Vegas A's become a reality that we will welcome to our city. Now, I've uh, asked Mayor Goodman, the good mayor of Las Vegas, to come on the show. And uh, I think we'll get her on the program next week. But it'll be interesting to see what her stance is next week. Number three. Bouncing back to the NFL here briefly. um, The NFL is going to lift gambling restrictions for the Chiefs and 49ers players immediately after the Super Bowl. Oh. So we've talked a lot about gambling this year and the problem that it has posed in the NFL with players getting busted left and right, gambling on the games. But it is clarifying that this policy of prohibiting players or staff members from gambling will be lifted right after the game. So they're allowed to partake in gambling in Las Vegas after the conclusion of the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, Americans are expected to bet $23 billion on the game. That'll be, uh, you know, 68 million adults, 26% of the population of adults in the United States are expected to bet $23 billion combined dollars. That will be a record. Wow. Both with number of adults who wager and the amount that is wagering, uh, that is wagered. So, um, you know, look, uh, Legal wagering, 38 states now offer regulated betting, sports books. And, uh, by the way, the the a- estimated advertising spend on sports betting rose to $360 million this year in the NFL. So the NFL is getting $360 million infusion of cash when it comes to its TV partners, getting advertising, marketing, partnerships for the team. Um the NFL knows it's getting rich on gambling. By the way, Caesars Sportsbook reported taking a $1 million bet on one of the teams to win straight up. They took another $100,000 bet on the coin flip to land tails. By the way, the million-dollar bet, Stephen, it was on the 49ers to win on the money line. <laughs> mm, I like it. Caesars rooting hard for the Chiefs. Moving on. Anna, number four, I think this is. Number four. Is it four? Maybe. Well, I don't know. The sound was supposed to help you, John. It's supposed to help you remember. No, it did, because number one was the turf. <laughs> yeah. And then you went. Two was athletics. Athlete, yeah. The yeah. A's. Why do you call them the athletics? Okay, the, the A's. A's. It throws me off when you say the <laughs> athletics. I was like, what? The athletics. <laughs> the Oakland The Oakland A's. A's was two. Then betting was three. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. just four. Yeah, I'm a real pro. I can count. I'm on it. Not really. Okay, uh, let's talk about, um, well, I was going to talk about Tiger committing to Genesis for the, his first event of 2024, mm. but that's really all there is to say about that. So instead, let's talk about Nick Saban joining ESPN uh, on College Game oh, Day. Boy. So he's retired from Alabama. ESPN announced it's hired Saban as a game day analyst for the 2024 season. Uh, Subsequently, they clarified Lee Corso's role because that led to questions about Lee Corso. uh, And, you know, he's going to be 89 years old when game day resumes in the fall. 
uh, spokesperson for ESPN says that Corso will, in fact, return as well for his 37th year on the program. Saban's 72. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Is Saban going to be any good, Stephen? Saban, he going to be good on game day? I think he could be. I think it's uh, it's kind of like Belichick. I think Belichick has a chance to be good just because of how smart they are. Like, they, they'll have forgotten more than anybody ever knows. That's on the pro, on the program. So I, I do think there is a chance that Saban's good. It just depends on how willing he is to call people out, basically, you know, and, and, and call out his, uh, his former colleagues and – uh, former coaching disciples. I, I just think that might be a troublesome for him. But if he does it and he does it right, I think he can be really good. I just wonder, you know, how does he fit with kind of this new world college game day? I like college game day from years ago. It was a smart show. They had a lot of good features, you know, a lot of analysis. It was just a better journalistic show. And then in, in addition to kind of the silly fun stuff they do, now it just feels like they all, they're all silly and fun. So maybe having Nick Saban on there will be a return to – Game day maybe taking itself a little more seriously because I can't see Nick Saban arm wrestling Pat McAfee. Like like that's not gonna work. Number five. We are ending the five at five uh with a story about a moose. Oh. So uh a skier in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Okay. Heading down the slopes. And seconds later is being chased by a massive moose so close that it could actually nip the back of his ski boots. This is what happened to Kenny Rainierson in Jackson Hole recently. And guess what? It was captured on video. You can Google it. The clip shows a moose in a full sprint down the mountain as the skier is doing his best to evade the moose. (laughs) He eventually creates some distance before uh, helping a fellow skier yelling, go faster, as the animal continues to give chase. How fast can a moose run? Apparently real fast. I mean, this thing, you know, they can grow to nearly 7 feet tall and 1,600 pounds. This one wasn't that big. Okay, Usain Bolt, at his fastest, almost hit 28 miles an hour. Yeah, a moose can run up to 35 miles an hour for short Ooh, distances. Oh, that's not good. And trot yeah. steadily at 20 miles an hour. <laughs> you say Bolt running on the track, moose just kind of hanging out, <laughs> laughing as he's running by. Oh. Would you be scared? I'd be more. more I would sc- be terrified. Okay, but what? Give me an idea. Like grizzly bear or moose? I'm grizzly bear. I, I'll take. I'll take the moose. Uh, you'll take the moose. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'd be more scared of the grizzly bear. Hundred percent. I'd be scared I, of the moose. I'm scared of the moose, too, but given the choice, grizzly bear's got claws. Those antlers are going straight through my body. I feel like at least with the bear, I might be able to like poke his eye or something. Are you? Really? You're going to poke his eye? That's, I, your ga- that's your game plan if you run into a with grizzly bear? With a ski pole? I mean, the moose is just going to tear you apart, too. What do you do? When How the- does the moose kill you? With the, with, it's the antlers? The, make a face at the moose? And then stomp at you? Stomp you? Stomp you? I just I'm caught up on his idea that he's gonna poke the mo- the bear in the eye. <laughs> That's my only move I got. <laughs> I fight dirty. <laughs> hey, no eye poking. <laughs> I would re- I would miss if I was aiming for the eye. I would miss. It's too small of a target. I'll ask Bruce Barnum about that coming up. I'm sure he's gonna have a colorful answer about what <laughs> he would do if he encountered a moose or a grizzly bear in the wild. I want you to leave it right here. 
My phone's blowing up now with people who have been listening to the show. And uh, they heard your game plan, Stephen, for the moose. For people who just tuned in, uh, Anna was talking about a moose that's seven feet tall and uh, 1,600 pounds. It was chasing a skier down a hill. Stephen said his plan would be, uh, I said, grizzly bear or moose. He said if he encountered a grizzly bear, he would try to poke it in the eye. Um, Stephen, I don't think the bear is going to even notice that. It's a bad plan. I poke really hard. I want you to abandon that plan right now. Okay. Okay? Think of something else. Poking a bear in the eye is not going to stop the bear. My plan is not to go out in the wild. That's that's my plan. You've just told me you really don't want to be poked in the eye. (laughs) That's all I've learned from that. Bruce Barnum, the Portland State football coach, man of the world. He is an outdoorsman. I'm going to run this by Bruce Barnum. Bruce Barnum... You are being chased by a moose or a grizzly bear. Which one terrifies you more? Well, you know, back in the day when I was your age, uh, John, and the age of all the people driving home right now, that I-5 North, taking them an hour and a half, I thought it was a grizzly bear. But we used to go to Jellystone often um, uh, during the summers. We'd, you know, hike, and we'd go into Grieve Lake and go fishing, yada, yada. And the you know you talk to the rangers, uh, and they said a moose is is the most dangerous animal in the park. I'm like what? Wow. And then you see one, you know, you see one, and the the back of it, you know, looks like eight feet up in there, and you're like okay. So you know I I, I learned quick. Uh, don't ever because a little moose, whatever they're called, the meese, they want to come you know hang out, you know. <laughs> Uh, don't get around a little moose. So anyway, uh, moose—that would be my fear after seeing him. But neither right. though. All right, yeah, no, neither. Like, not like Judah though. You don't poke in the eye. Come on, Judah. No, it, it, and give me an idea though. You, do you have a game plan? Let's start with the moose. You encounter a moose. Is it kind of just slowly get out of the way? Don't you know? Don't make any sudden movements. Kind of distance yourself. Or what's your plan? Oh, I always thought, because they're usually in either marsh or trees, you know. I always thought, get to a tree and play the, you know, the game with it that you used to play a little, as a little yeah. kid. Stay on the opposite side of the tree, you know. 100%. Um, other than that, no trees, trip Judah, you know, and <laughs> and you got a shot. Because yeah, he'll know. be there flailing, trying to poke in the eye, and I'll be running. How about the bear conundrum? Because I think it's brown bear, brown get down. Uh, black bear, black attack, right? You got to defend yourself. What do you? How do you know really? if it's brown? You and, we're yeah. we're gonna remember that in the heat of the battle. Are you kidding? No. Come on. No way in hell. Hey, l- let me look at you real quick. Time out. Okay, looks kind of blackish. Let me Google you. Oh, you know you're a brown bear. I'm gonna run like a son of a gun, but no, yeah. I don't. You know, uh, I was near one once, uh, walking in a berry thing. You know, the berry bushes were so thick. We couldn't hear, and all of a sudden, uh, a bear's head came up. He was black, you know, and I didn't think of any of your little chants you just said. Yeah. Um, I just said, I got to get my ass back to that car now. I froze, you know, because in the movies, it freeze. I froze, but I don't know if it was out of straight fear, but noticing my pants weren't wet, I, I, I guessed it wasn't, and I just walked back to the car, you know. I have two fears. Have you buried? Two fears in that situation. One is... If we're by water and the bear is wet, how do I know if it's brown or black? It's wet. And that's my first fear. The second one is seeing, like, baby bears. 
but all of a sudden you realize you got baby bears around you, and you know mama's not far away. Right, right. And your first reaction, oh, you know, cute little baby bear, let me pet you here, let me hold you, and all of a sudden you're lunch, you know. Bruce Barnum with us, outdoorsman. Uh, let's talk about the guys that you signed today. We had one on the show. We brought Crew Newman on. I think that's a huge pickup. Great player. He's a winner. Uh, are you looking for guys who have had success and not just are good players, but guys who who can bring some culture, winning culture to your program? No doubt. No doubt. Um, if you have two, one that has you know is from a slower program or not as many wins compared to a uh, championship program, and actually, you can see our uh, what we've done, what we're trying to do. Um, yeah, they already know how to win. They expect to win. Um, you're halfway there as far as the mental side. And you said it. You know, looking at I didn't. You had him on. Judas said you had him on the radio. Yeah, we had him on the hour cool. number one. He was fantastic. He was mature. You I tell you know this is no big deal to him. Well, you said it. He's a leader. You said winner, and the, the kid's a leader. You know, and that's what you want in the room. That That's the position. You know, you have to have a special – you get a special kid at that position, a special young student athlete, um, it changes the game, you know, especially for the offense we run. Do what we ask you to do. You know, don't be a hero. <clears throat> but when you're in the red zone and you know you have to score or you have to move the chains on that third and whatever – uh, be smart enough to know when we need your feet, that type of thing. Those guys are magic. It looks like you benefited a little bit with the transfer portal and some of the chaos that was created by Nick Saban leaving. Saban leaves, then you know Jed Fish goes to Washington because DeBoer goes to Alabama, and Brent Brennan leaves San Jose State to go to to go to Arizona, and you pick up uh, a wide receiver, Brandon Alvarez from San Jose State. And a linebacker, Jordan Allen from San Jose State. Um, are those guys you'd normally be in play for? It feels like, you know, you're getting guys that are Mountain West Conference players. Well, um, and a lot goes into those. Uh, uh, it's connect. It's connection because we had a San Jose wide receiver the year before who loved what we were doing, had success. You know, uh, enjoyed Portland State University, enjoyed Portland everything we're doing in the program. So that made it easier on those two. And, and linebacker was a, uh, one of our needs going in. Uh, so to get one of that caliber, because uh, I lost one. You know, I lost one to the portal. Um, I started Mike Linebacker, went to Washington State. So I'm like, all right, we have to replace that. And, uh, I mean, it was a it was a trade we had to make, and I like how we came out in the end. So um, the portal uh, – if they don't get – here's where I'm at with the portal because chasing those guys a little bit is chasing a dream. John, if they don't get NIL money, I have a shot, you know. But right now it's the money. I'm not uh, – we've talked about this. I'm not offering them NIL money. I'm offering, you know, we feed you. That's where my extra money goes. Uh, but if you get NIL, I'm, I'm out of it unless they're, you know, chump change, you know, maybe a thousand bucks a month or something, but nobody, I, I doubt anybody's offering the portal guy that it's usually decent money. The, the, the level of high school recruits you're getting, we've talked about this before early signing period. You had a whole bunch of high school kids. You added some more here, including crew Newman and, I know a Pac-12 coach who was looking hard at Crew Newman and just said, I don't have room for him 
in my quarterback room. He was kind of on the fringe. Would he get an offer? Would he not get an offer? You get a kid like that. It, this trickle down, I think, is going to make the Big Sky a better conference. It is, uh, and it's also going to make us, in my opinion, uh, just looking ahead, not naive. We're toward Triple A baseball. You know, we're the old Portland Beavers. Um, but you know, I'm addressing. I'm talking about. It. I sat crew down um, when it was kind of crunch time. Am I going to wait for something big? Am I going to go with Barnum? Yada yada. I said, listen. Kid, uh, you get me to the playoffs, uh, I'll get you an NIL deal. I will search. Uh, I'm old, older than most. Uh, I said, I'll call everybody I know and and send your film out, you know. It's become a little bit of a recruiting tool. You know, and he he was looking at me like, uh, 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 uh." I said, I'm serious. I'm not naive here. I I said, come here. I said, I doubt you'll want to leave. Uh, because I'm going to take care of you, and, you know, we're going to win games. You're going to be loyal, and your teammates and that. But, you know, uh, the kids are chasing a lottery ticket a little bit right now, so it's different. But you get a kid who was 38-2 and two as a starter and is the state player of the year, and, you know, he's six foot, and he's a dual-threat guy. That seems to fit what you want to do on offense. To a perfection, to to a T, not a perfection. It's uh, again, we're getting it all across the board. We got crew, you know, in a normal year without uh, what the NCAA has become, we don't get that kid. Um, I got a safety, uh, John, that got a bunch of SEC soft offers as as a uh, as soon as he his junior year. He's on my team now. Um, as a you know freshman, we just signed, so we're getting a better caliber. Um, but uh, you're right, the conference, um, they're getting the same thing. Now there's a couple, and we're watching, we're watching the signings. A couple of them are you know got more uh, transfers um, than others, but you know that program is uh, probably has a little nil money, you know, to give a kid. So. We're finding our niche. I like how we jumped into it last year. Uh, we found this niche, and I put together some class. Now we have to develop them, you know. Now we're going to develop them. We're working on that in the off season, and ready to go. Is there – what happens to the kids that maybe used to fill out the bottom of your roster? Now, because if there's a trickle down, you don't have room for those kids. Where are they going? Are they community college kids? Are they D3, NAIA? Where are they going? Great question, um, because right now our phone's ringing off the hook. You know, coaches are MFing me. You know, what are you doing? This kid's a great player, best I've ever I'm like, I don't have any room left. I'm done. Even our walk-on. We're taking them as, uh, as preferred walk-ons or whatever you want to call it, you know, in the camp. But um, since the NIL and the portal open, uh, getting a full roster to 110, uh, we struggled before the current NCAA. Now, uh, I've got, I'm at 110 and we're looking around going, okay, we can't take any more. You know, or we might have to ask this one to come in when school starts. Um, so where are they going? I don't know, because junior college in uh, this area in the Northwest is taking a, a crushing blow a few moons ago. Um, Butte College, you know, um, Northern California has some. 
that they're going to um, and the central Washingtons of the world, the Western Oregons of the world are probably getting a little better caliber student athlete as well. You talked about needs. You needed a linebacker. You, what, what were the other needs that felt pressing to you in this uh, in this day maybe or in this cycle altogether? Offensive line and linebackers. As when, we, when initial, that's what we needed. Then I said any stars. Uh, we'll take for sure, and then we had some spots to fill. But then the portal hits you. I lost a wide receiver. He went to San Diego State. I lost a linebacker. He went to Washington State. Um, I've, I've got uh, two other um, guys in the portal right now. And here, here's, here's the part you don't hear about. I've got two guys in the portal right now um, that had played well, and they're, they're sitting at home. They don't have anything. They've got a couple, you know, smaller school, partial offers. They don't have anywhere to go because if I'm talking to anybody right now in college football, any student athlete, if you are a wide receiver or a running back, think hard before you go into the portal because it is, there's so many of them. I don't know the word. You're a word guy. It's uh, not swamped. It's uh, saturated, saturated. You know, ever since you I started there. your show, you got there. Start you see, I'm getting a little vocab. Yeah. See what happens? It's like Reader's Digest. You read the Reader's Digest, I, pretty soon you're using words you never heard before. My parents still send that to me. I finally said, <laughs> I swear to God, I think they just pushed the renew for three years. I still get it. It's on the back of the toilet. It's still in plastic. Love it. Bruce Barnum is with us. Um, okay. So you're talking about like running backs, wide receivers. It's it's like fantasy league. I mean, it, if there's a saturation of at that position, what do they do? They get in the portal, then do they come crawling back? Is there a room for them to go back to their schools? Well, everybody deals with it differently. Here's how I deal with it. I have your listeners call in and say, Barnum's a dumbass or I like his rules. I, it has to be two things have to happen or are going to happen. Number one, if you come back to me after going to the portal, because to me they, you quit my team. We're not headed in the same direction. So, number one, it has to be 100% across the board. I have a team meeting, and we vote. Um, back or not, is he going to help us win? It has to be 100%. Um, everybody votes him back. If they do that, I take them back, the student-athlete, but I do not return their scholarship. They pay their own way. That's my rule right now, right or wrong. I don't know, you know, but I had to come up with something. Why do you take the scholarship away just to, you know, you want them to think twice before that? Because they're essentially, they are, they're quitting on you and they're putting you in a position where you got to go fill their position. So, well, that's it, the biggest reason. I gave yeah. it away. Yeah. I, I'm full right now. I don't have any more uh, to give. I mean, I take that back. I'm, I have two more specialist players that were on right now. Um, but other than that, I don't have any more. So I, I'm not going to save it for him. Hey, come back. I'll save this for you. Um, yeah. that, that hurts me or my team. It just puts you in a really bad spot. How, all right, so how do you handle this? Because, you know, in the NFL on draft day, I've heard players say they pay attention to the draft because they're watching their NFL team basically pick the guy who's going to take their job someday. How do you right. handle the signees in managing your own roster, egos, insecurity. You bring in a QB that 
You know, you, you know, is a good player. Now suddenly your quarterback room is antsy. Do you do some preventative work ahead of time and talking with your guys about who you're signing, or do you just sign it and you say, hey, best player is going to play? Well, I, that is, I do address it. And if you don't, I think it can hurt you. I talk, we talk all the time. Listen, it's, it's our job where you're going to try to recruit better than everybody in this room. We have to keep climbing number one and then the new ones that come in especially the if you get a portal guy i don't know how other people started but i had talked to him right away i said listen you're gonna have to walk in this place you're gonna have to fit in that locker room whether you're a, a one year you know just coming for one season two seasons whoever you are i don't care how good you are where you're coming from you are starting in the back of the line i said that's what it is if you think you're going to come in and start you know, don't. It's not going to happen. You're going to earn it, and you're going to enter that locker room with humility. Um, and you can tell. I mean, when we recruit them, and like I said, most of them uh, don't want to come here anyway because I don't have any money to give them. Um, but what ends up happening is I get the ones who got in the portal, and they're kind of rut row, raggy, <laughs> and all of a sudden they just want to play football. So telling them that uh, makes sense and um, they sign on the dotted line. Bruce Barnum. And my guys want to win. My guys on the team want to win. So if I'm bringing in, you know, you go and salmon fish and you catch some mullets and you bring them in or slap in a sucker fish, they're like, geez, coach, what are we doing here? Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, our guest. All right, final question. Um, Transfer portal should – should it be? Should there be transparency? Should we get to know what players are getting when they get an NIL deal? What do you mean? How much they're getting? Yeah, how much? How much money you mean? Money or um, you know what's? Should there be you know? Should there be transparency? And not in the big sky maybe, but maybe in major college football. I don't. Know. First off, let's talk about the word transparency. That's another one I've learned since I met you and did this show transparency I, I, I had no idea i used to think scotch tape um when i heard that but just being open right just letting everybody know yeah. what's going on yeah anyway that's totally back asswards from what you asked but <laughs> i don't i know how much money's involved because brody my oldest is involved at yeah. university of louisville he's actually rain, raising money for it and i hear the stories i've heard the stories from uh, the Eugene School, well, I can say it's going to be Oregon, what they do and how it affects them. Number one, um, you would have to hire somebody to keep up with all the deals going on, I think. Yeah. Um, number two, I don't think you'll ever see transparency because I'm not sure how some of that money's getting there, John, how it's being reported, where it's coming from. You know, I'm not talking cartel, but I'm talking. Some things that might be, hey, we need this money now. I don't care if you have an LLC. Just give me, you know, 500000 Help me right. out here. So, sure, it would be fun to know it because everybody would be going, oh, wow, you know. Holy jumping catfish, he got that. You know, but I think it would, I don't think some teams want him to know because uh, if you and I are linebackers, um, and we get a, 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 a Gogurt, you know, every day, and some guy transfers in, and he's getting $50,000 a month, <laughs> you and I aren't going to be too happy. So I don't know if college coaches want the transparency. 
Roots. But I, I'm sure the fans do, you know. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you joining the show. Congrats on the class. Look like you got some players. Thank you for bringing it, yep. bringing on the show. Ready to go. Thanks for having the mighty crew, too. Give the kids some puppies. Yeah. Hopefully see them on a Saturday. Why not? Let's, but let's first, get it let's going. Let's see him at your camp. First, let's get his ass yeah. BFT camp. Yeah, let's see, if he, uh, let's see what he's got in the summer. Then we'll know. All right, right. Coach, thank you. All right. Appreciate you. There's Bruce Barnum. Leave it here. Well, what did we learn today? I always think about that at the end of the day. What did I learn today? Uh, What did I get out of this this, uh, 24-hour period? Well, what we learned on today's show, uh, certainly if you buy a movie theater ticket and you have an assigned seat, stay in your damn seat. Um, We learned that on today's show. Uh, uh, Let's go backwards. Bruce Barnum in the 5 o'clock hour talked about uh, the the caliber of player that he's getting in the Big Sky Conference. He knows that Montana, Montana State, UC Davis, Sac State, Weber State, they're getting better players too. But I think it's going to be really interesting to see if the Big Sky Conference and conferences like that do in fact turn into sort of the feeder system for major college football. Is that level of football, bear with me here, going to become college football like we used to know it? Meaning... We know the players aren't getting huge NIL deals. We know that they're hungry. They're playing because they love the game, and they're, they're trying to better themselves and get to the next level. Isn't that what college football used to be? I'm just throwing that out there. I wrote a little bit last this last uh, year or so about the big sky and how maybe it's one of the last places you can go where it's not about the portal, it's not about NIL, it's about players, young people trying to better themselves. And in that way, those of you out there that love minor league baseball, love the developmental system that college athletics used to be, maybe you find a little sweet spot in a conference like the Big Sky. Just throwing that out there. In hour two today, we did talk about the Super Bowl quite a bit. And Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes, like it or not, they're going to be at the center of the debate on Sunday. Mahomes going for a second straight Super Bowl championship and a bit of legacy. Purdy and the Niners just trying to get a win in this era where they have sniffed around the NFC championship game, got to the Super Bowl. Purdy didn't get there, but his team got there before him. Now they're back. They're in the big game. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I have the answer for this game because I don't. Every time I go to handicap it, I look at it and I say, this is a one-score game. And Patrick Mahomes scares the daylights out of me in a one-score game if I'm the 49ers. So if I'm San Francisco, you gotta you got to make sure you have the ball at the end of the game and give yourself a chance to win the game. Because if you give it to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs for that final possession, you are uh, putting your fate in the hands of a player that has uh, knocked a whole bunch of other players out of the playoffs this year. In our one... We talked to Crew Newman, Central Catholic High School quarterback. Really good interview. I love bringing high school players on this show. Granted, we've had some over the years that struggled to uh, construct their thoughts, or maybe they were nervous, or maybe they just hadn't done interviews. Crew Newman was not that guy. Reminded me of Jackson Shellstad in the interview we did with Shellstad when he was at West Lynn High School about going off to Oregon, or Peyton Pritchard before him. Uh, Very mature, could talk about it, um, uh, seemed excited, confident about what he's doing. Crew Newman 
is exactly the kind of player that like a signing day is made for. You know, a guy who's won at a high level in high school, said he has a chip on his shoulder, excited to see what that guy does next season as a freshman at Portland State. He's won everywhere he's gone. Can he continue to win at Portland State at the quarterback position? Grab a podcast of the show wherever you get a podcast. Uh, We break out the interviews for you, so if you want to hear Crew Newman, you want to hear Bruce Barnum, you can get those tomorrow on the show. P.J. Carlissimo will be joining us, among others. And by among others, I mean Dana Altman's coming on the show as well. So Oregon basketball coach P.J. Carlissimo will talk some Super Bowl and will lead you right into the weekend uh, as uh, we prepare for the Super Bowl. Now, Friday's show is going to be all about the Super Bowl and all about Vegas and all about talking about the nonsense that's going to go on in front of the Super Bowl and all that. Bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.